folks, welcome to episode number 185 of the Live Life Aggressively Show. Sincere Hogan, that's me. Got Mike Mahler on the other side. What's going on, man? I'm doing great, man. In fact, I'm besides being super sore from doing Matt Krasinski's squat program, which is in his book, Insane Training. You might be able to find it online somewhere, but don't be a cheap ass. Go buy the book if you want to pick up some great programs. He has a great deadlift program in there as well I've used a few times. But the squat program is really deceptive. The first workout, you're using 60% of your one rep max for five sets of 10, right? So you just look at that on paper. You go, ah, this is basically going to be a back off week. It's going to be easy. But man, the soreness that that workout creates – I did it on Saturday. I'm still sore now. <laughs> Legs are still sore. It's amazing repetition squats, how sore you can get doing them with what looks like seemingly light weights. Right. It's kind of like a reverse version of, um, of Poliquin's uh, modification of German volume training where you're doing like 10 sets of five and you're just going to, ah, you know, and it's probably like what, like 75%. And you think it was just five, man, I can do that. Then four days later, you know, your ass is still on fire and your quads are still burning. He's like, God, man, it's not that serious. So it's, it's like you said, it's just funny how those reps can do that to you. Yeah, it doesn't seem it doesn't feel like it's going to be have that exactly. while you're doing it. It doesn't seem that difficult. You're doing the five sets of 10. You're like, OK, last couple sets. It's, yeah. you, can, you can feel the pump in your legs building up, but you don't think you're going to be that sore afterwards or certainly not the next few days. Right. And five sets of 10. You're right. It is basically half of German volume training. 60%. And I think that's basically all you need to do. So if someone who wants to do German volume training, let's say 10 sets of 10, instead of doing that right off the cuff, try five sets of 10 for a couple of weeks and see how that goes. Right. Sometimes and see if that's the the optimal amount to get the dose, to get the desired effect. Sometimes people just go a little bit too gung-ho and many people have jobs where they can't be that impeded from such a right. bad spot. Like you, you can't even walk up the stairs. Yeah, you have an office job and like you know you're sitting there and you got to get up for a meeting and they're like, "Come on, Jerry." You're like, "Uh, just give me a minute." <laughs> it's like, "What's wrong?" Well, with I was talking guy? to one of my neighbors who's a firefighter <laughs> and he was talking about how some of the guys train at the gym. Yeah. They do a lot of CrossFit workouts and they're always trying to beat themselves up and hit PRs and all that. I go, yeah, that's a problem, man. If if you that's guys are wiped out after a workout, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, dude, you simply you you pretty much almost suffer from rhabdo or whatever, and I need you to get over here and get me and my wife out of here, <laughs> you know. But you can't even carry me right now. You guys need to take a page from the Russians and do some periodization where you never go above ninety percent of your one rep max. Keep right. it at that seventy to eighty percent range, sixty to eighty percent range. Last thing I need is you guys too wiped too wiped out from a heavy squat workout that you can't get over to the house. <laughs> your quads on fire, you can't even get up the stairs to come rescue anyone. Like, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> oh man, so we're gonna let's go ahead and skip the shout outs and all the other crap yeah, we usually do before we introduce the guest. <laughs> Because we were talking to him before we started recording, and he's a fun guy. He's a very informative guy, and everyone loved his last appearance on the show. So we have Jerry Brainum back. He's a nutrition supplement expert, expert on all things related to supplementation performance enhancement. Jerry, how you doing, buddy? How are you, Mike? How you doing today? It's great to have you back, man. Everyone loved your last episode. It was extremely informative. Oh, that's great. Great to hear. Yeah, man. And we'll make sure to give your website a plug in. Yeah. The monthly service, you have a subscription site. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's a new, uh, well, I call it a newsletter. I always, I always feel sheepish about using that term because, you know, it's like newsletters are what, one or two pages of nothing. This thing is like 40 to 50 pages a month. Right, right. It's like real in-depth, you know. I mean, uh, you know, somebody was telling me the other day that uh, how people don't like to read. So they said, well, you should just make videos. I said, well, the problem with that is if I tried to make a video out of my newsletter, 
I mean, you're going to need a sleeping bag by the time. <laughs> when I gave a, uh, I gave a uh, seminar years ago, you guys just mentioned Charles Pollock the trainer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he asked me to do a seminar in Arizona years ago. And I, I meant to talk only about nutrition. It was over two days, you know? Yeah. He actually started out. It was supposed to be a, a seminar. It was at a health spa. It was supposed to be only for women. But not enough women showed up, so he turned it into just a seminar for trainers. Yeah. So, so you know, and any it was mostly it was all men, you know, one or two women in the room. So you know, it was over two days. I was supposed to talk on nutrition, and then I remember on uh, uh, there was a couple of guys over forty in the room, and I remember on the second day we slipped into talking about testosterone replacement therapy. <laughs> but you, you won't believe this, but it's the truth. And Paula can, can confirm this. I spoke, and I'm not trying to brag or anything. I mean kind of silly when you think about it, but I actually spoke for eight hours straight on testosterone therapy. Wow. Hours. <laughs> you know, so my point is, you know, some things really are kind of more suited for, to maybe reading. You know, I mean, videos to me, I mean, you guys are familiar with the TED lectures, you know, that, that are right. online. I mean, they did some research. They found that videos really, you know, most people's attention span is maybe about 18 minutes. Right, right. You know, and I, I did a couple of videos myself, and they were only an hour, you know, and I was trying to give a lot of information, you know, and I, I got well, You give a ton of information. The thing about watching videos such as yours, lecture-style videos, if you're not sitting there taking notes while you watch it, you're not going to recall a thing. Exactly. Well, it's too much information. It's yeah, way too much. And I think, I think it's true. I think a lot of people, even people that are motivated, a lot of their attention span does kind of fade after about 20 minutes or so. So, you know, I got a couple of comments saying, you know, I love your videos, but they're just so long. It's hard for me to watch it. And, and it's not just you. I always, an analogy would be comedians, right? Yeah. You, can, you can get a really good comedian, but after about, let's say, 20, 30 minutes, you can see the crowd starting to fade <laughs> because you've adapted to the comedian style. Right. You've laughed at a few jokes. You know where they're coming from now. You're not being surprised. You have to be an extremely gifted comedian exactly. to hold someone's attention for more than 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I've watched lectures. Uh, they were, uh, I don't know, some from science conferences. You can see them on And some of these guys are the top researchers in the world. But the, yeah. le the lectures sometimes are two hours long. Now, I'm highly motivated and very interested to hear what these people are saying. But i got to admit to you guys after about 30 minutes, I'm like glazed over. I mean, uh, they, so much, they, they're really giving very great information, but I mean, they're showing slides and everything, but I mean, <laughs> right. I just, it's just, it's like information overload. Yeah. After about 30 minutes, I'm thinking, I, I'm so, I start thinking about, well, it's time to walk the dogs or something. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, those situations, especially if you're going to have something at that length, you've got to, I mean, this is just me coming from that entertainment world. People want to be entertained. You know, right. they, they want the they want the information, but you have to make it in an entertaining manner to keep their attention. Because at the end of the day, when we're learning something new, we're all children. And right. the only way you can keep a child's attention when you learn something new, it has to be entertaining. So when people can really realize that and not see that as offensive when you say that, oh, my audience, they're, they're children. Well, they are because this is new information for them. This is something brand new. So you have to kind of find a way to make to make it entertaining. And a lot of times in those situations, you have the scientists like a lot of them are not entertaining. You know, they're just, they're just, and they have their monotone. They sound like Ben Stein. And you're just like, oh, God, I feel like I'm back in high school again. Shoot me now, please. You know, it's funny, sincere, because I, I, I kind of like uh, keyed in on that years ago. When I first started writing, I, I remember studying it, and, and it, there was a, a, a one of the uh, books mentioned something how you should, when you write, if you really want to keep the audience, you should try and entertain and inform. And so even in my newsletter, like even if I'm talking about a dry subject, 
Well, let me put it there. There's somebody uh, gave an expression a couple of years ago. There are no uh, there are no bad subjects, just bad writers. But you can take a really boring subject, depending on how you deliver it, you can make it interesting to a large majority of people. Right. So, like in my newsletter, for example, if I'm writing on just to pick something out of a hat, let's say branch chain amino acids. I'll actually put an anecdote in there about maybe the original Gold's Gym, something that would interest people and keep their mind on the article, you know. And when I used to give my seminars, when I did give nutrition seminars, I always did jokes throughout. I, I remember once introducing myself, uh, remember that, that, uh, Playboy, uh, uh, Anna Nicole Smith. And you remember? Sure, right. Yeah. Oh, there, there was a, uh, there was a time. I remember right when I was uh, going to give a seminar. Uh, she, she, there was a controversy of who the father of her uh, uh, child was. She had a baby. Uh, and I started this seminar. I was on nutrition. I started it by announcing that I'm Jerry Brainham and I'm not the father of Anna Nicole Smith's baby. Because there was about <laughs> 10 guys claiming to be the father, if you remember. Right. <laughs> so right away, the, you know, the audience laughed and I, I was on a good start. You, know? you, should, you should have said you are the father. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That would have gotten everyone, everyone's attention. Like, wait, 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 wait what? <laughs> yeah, you know, in retrospect, that probably would have put more. No, but, but the thing about jokes is they're unexpected. So now all of a sudden people are paying attention because right. they were just fading and then you drop that joke and they're like, whoa, what have you? just say i can't believe you just said that now they're paying attention waiting for the next one to drop i i agree with what both of you guys are saying in terms of delivering information but one way to stay way ahead of competition is to not be that person who has to be entertained to absorb information right if you're willing to go through those medical journals like in the context of hormone optimization and listen to those boring lectures and absorb that 90 percent of your competition is not willing to do that kind of research so right. you have to be able to absorb that information when you deliver it though you can't be boring oh you can't be boring but they're like you i think mike you're also pointing out if i understand you correctly you mentioned you don't want to slip into being bozo the clown either because then you lose credibility i mean uh, if you start to make too many jokes nobody takes you seriously well, just, just as someone researching stuff you don't want to be you, you don't want to be so limited that you're reading you're reading a medical journal on DHEA and then you're going, oh, this is not entertaining enough for me to keep reading it. It's like you're not reading it for entertainment. You're reading it to get insights into this hormone and the benefits and to understand its place exactly. in the overall hormone optimization. So I'm not I'm not expecting to be entertained, but a lot of people will drift right off because they're like, oh, this is boring. I was like, it's not boring if it's giving me information that's useful, no matter how boring the delivery is. And two right. things with that is like, if you're the speaker, it's like, you know, pretty much know that topic so well that when you talk about it, they can, your audience can hear the enthusiasm in your voice and they're going to pay attention because like Mike has always said, you know, to my, when you're enthused, other people become interested in enthused. Like they right, may not even right. know what the hell you're talking about. But like, Hey man, tell that's me right. more. You know, and then on the flip side of that, as the, as the audience member, make sure that when you attend something like this, that you actually give a crap about it. You know, right. because no matter what, if you don't care, I don't care how entertaining the speaker can be or how much information you're going to give, you're not going to pay attention. You just, you, your mind's going to wander off. You know, I know there's certain situations where people have to do things because of their profession. They have to attend certain things. But otherwise, if you're just paying for something because you're trying to get the information, but honestly, you're not really that interested in the information, but you just want to, I don't know, try to get the information so you can seem smarter than the average people around you or whatever. Dude, it's just not going to work. You got, you have to be, you also have to be interested in it and have enthusiasm with it. So therefore, if you're really into that topic and then the speaker's really into that topic, then it's a win-win, and guess what? You don't have to really worry about that many jokes. And a lot of times, the jokes or whatever else is just going to happen. It's going to happen organically. 
without yeah, if I, want, if I want jokes, I'll go to a comedy club. Exactly. You know, I'm not going to the anti-aging conference to be entertained. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is going to be a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the jokes this doctor's going to drop about TRT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't want Sarah, Sarah Silverman to come in, you know, talking about ice pricks or something like that. Yeah. Okay. No, but the thing is, I, I, you know, I, I mean, you know, for mentioning YouTube, you know, when I put the videos on, one guy commented, it was, you know, it was a strictly, it was, a, you know, an informative video. I, I didn't really t- try and tell a lot of jokes, you know. And one guy wrote underneath, he says, it's a shame, Jerry, that you don't get more views compared to some of these other knuckleheads on YouTube. Yeah. And I thought about it, and he, and he mentioned one guy. I, I won't mention his name, but this guy has really bloated arms and a lot of tattoos. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Every time this guy puts on a YouTube video, sure enough, he gets, within two days, he gets about 275,000 views, right? And, and at first I said, wait a minute. You know, I, I looked at this guy's videos. I watched three of them, and I said, there's no information here at all. Right. And then, you know, I, I started to think about it, and I asked a couple of people, and then I watched one video where it kind of answered the mystery. This guy himself admitted that his his uh, audience was average age 15 to 17. And I, and I thought back to myself, when I was 15, I would have been impressed by a guy with arms that big. I, I don't care what he's saying. I just want to watch him, even though there's no information. So my point is, you know, people who watch my videos are watching to learn. They're not watching really to be entertained, underscoring what you're saying, Mike. Right. Whereas the people, the young guys that watch his videos, they don't give a crap about learning anything. They just want to see this big, giant monster that, you know, they love to hear him talk and curse and act like a tough guy. That turns them on. They, 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 he's their idol, more or less, you know? Because when I was 14, I remember looking at a, I was, no, I was actually younger than I was about 12. I looked in a bodybuilding magazine and, and I, I saw a picture. Do you guys know who Bill Pearl is? Sure. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. a triple Miss Universe. Yeah. And, and I remember his, they showed a, a photo of him in a tank that his arm was just hanging down. It looked like a, a head of ham. I mean, I, I didn't, <laughs> and, the, and the caption said, this is Bill Pearl, uh, Miss Universe. He has 21 inch arms. And I, I was 12 years old. I'm thinking, wow, I've never seen it. He immediately became my idol. I wound up writing to him and everything. I was so impressed by the guy. So, you know, that's the uh, prepubescent mind. I mean, that, you know, they're impressed by those. Me, I mean, a guy like my age or even when I was older, I mean, like the guys today, I, I they don't impress me at all. I mean, I don't yeah. want to put went down, but, you know, it takes a lot more than a 22-inch arm to impress me. Let me put it that way. Yeah, know? one yeah. thing about those 15-year-olds that are looking at that guy's videos they don't buy products either. So, exactly. so guess what? You don't want that audience. So you're, 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 you're doing great by not having them come on, you know, your YouTube channel, whatever it's cause they're never going to buy anything. They're, you know, they're not going to be so impressed. Like, you know what? I like what he's saying. I need to, I need to like subscribe to his newsletter so I can get more information beyond this YouTube video because the majority of a 15 year old mind is not thinking that far. It's just like, I just want to get big arms and a big chest and, you know, get, you know, impress the girls because, you know, yeah. you know, puberty is. <laughs> you, know, you, know, sincere, you know, you know. I tell you a quick anecdote that that's in line exactly what you're saying. Years ago, uh, I tried to talk a magazine publisher into ha- a, a new column on longevity because I said there's nothing being written on longevity research, and a lot of guys over 40 really want to like they don't want to get old and decrepit and senile. And nobody's writing about this stuff. I said, you know, we could, we could gear it towards people involved in weight training. You know, talk about nutrition, hormonal therapies. You know what he said to me? He said to me, uh, Jerry, our market is uh, from, uh, what do you say, from 14 to age 20. He said, so nobody, <laughs> I said, well, and I, had, like, I countered that by saying, well, I got news for you, my friend, 
14 year olds don't buy your the supplements that you're advertising. Right. Because right. I, I was 14, I couldn't afford a vitamin C. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, said, I said, so, you know, I don't know what to tell you here. You know, I understand your point, but, you know, your advertising is for naught because. Right, you're, not, you're not buying a cortisol blocker for 100 right, bucks right. when you're 14. <laughs> right. Right. Buying these, these, you know, whey protein supplements, whatever, creatine. I said, they, I guarantee you they're not 14 years old. You know, I know people are buying them, but I, if you were to see who who's buying them, I trust me, they're not 14 years old. I mean, these kids, <laughs> they're, they're buying the, from the dollar menu at McDonald's, okay? That's all it, they can afford. That's for it. The most. Well, that, that, was, that was a mistake on that person's end because yeah. the people that have a lot of money are the people in that demographic. Exactly. I want longevity information. So that's who you should tailor the entire magazine to. Right. Well, they, there was a mag- – in fact, in, in my argument, I mentioned – I don't know if you guys, you guys might not remember, there was a magazine years ago called Longevity. It was the actual title. Yeah, it, sure. Yeah. It was put out, it was put out by the guy, Bob, Bob Gusion. Remember from Penthouse Magazine? Oh yeah, I didn't realize that was the connection. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was actually, it was the editor. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's covering the whole spectrum. <laughs> hey man. Listen, yeah, listen. I actually, wrote a, I actually wrote a Penthouse. I mean, I wrote a column in Penthouse for about two months. But but it turns out they they took like a year and a half to pay me, so I had to stop writing for. It. But anyway, the thing is, uh, yeah, or Ori Hoffmeckler, our friend, he's yeah. uh, he, he had similar. Ori is the guy. Ori the guy who hired me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so anyway, but getting back to this long debit magazine, the editor in chief was uh, was Bob Gusion's live-in girlfriend, and the thing is, this started out as a newsletter, but it was only like eight pages. And it became so popular, Mike and Sincere, that it grew into a full-size magazine, and it was incredibly popular. Yeah. And they pulled the plug. You know why? Unbelievable. Th- this is the only magazine I could ever think of that went out of business, not for any money reasons, because the editor-in-chief, the uh, Gusion's girlfriend, got breast cancer and died. And Gusion didn't have the heart to keep it going. He closed it down. But I never forgot that magazine. Mm. I was a sub- I was a charter subscriber. I had every issue, and I loved it. The writing was excellent. It was simple to read. It was. I, I, I try and pattern my newsletter after it. It was fantastic. But the thing is, you know, I, I remember the popularity. I'm saying, I'm thinking, there's a market. People want that information. But my God, at my age, to be honest with you, all I think about is preventing the the, the bad effects of aging and degenerative. I don't give a crap about having 21 inch arms. Right. I, Care less that that's in the distant past. There's a lot of people like me, you know. Don't get me wrong; I want to be in good shape uh, by all means. But you know, when you get past forty, your mind starts to veer into this direction, you know. Well, I think I think what this guy was doing was clever. It's like he wants to keep people alive longer and healthier so that they buy penthouse exactly. you know? so that they're inspired to buy like i want to go look at some naked ladies <laughs> so, let me, <laughs> so let me get on that trt and the, all these longevity <laughs> i don't want to just look at them i actually want to date them you know <laughs> yeah, it's true yeah <laughs> well let's get let's get into some some information on enhancing performance i'm curious what you recommend for pre-workout supplementation, let's say stuff you take an hour before a workout to enhance performance. Okay. Well, let me put it in my, I think it was the last issue of the newsletter, Applied Metabolic. I, I wrote a, a, some I wrote a, a, some studies that were presented at a, uh, at the, you, know, you guys familiar with the National Strength and Conditioning Association? Uh-huh. I wrote about some poster studies, uh, they're called poster presentations. They're the only things worth seeing at those conferences 
because I, I used to attend them and it's just a bunch of guys just slapping each other on the back, telling each other how great they are. You know? <laughs> and, and, and they, they show slide presentations you know, of studies that have already been published, which I've already read, which is kind of pointless, you know. I mean, the only advantage is to talk today. But anyway, to get back to your, your question, sure. I wrote about a study where they uh, analyzed the supplement and it was a pre-workout supplement. And the thing that caught my attention was that this particular supplement, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it had everything in it known to mankind, except for uh, sodium bicarbonate, that would increase workout intensity. Yeah. But, but here's the point. Now, now this, is, this is curious, Mike and Sincere. The study showed it definitely, without question, increased uh, workout intensity and performance in the upper body. It didn't affect the legs. Hmm. And the researchers couldn't figure it out. Now, before I answer your question, I, I, I asked both you guys, you are, you're both sharp guys, what do you think? Why would taking something that clearly increases upper body workout intensity didn't increase lower body intensity? You guys have a theory about that? Uh, they, they probably weren't doing any lower body I was workouts. About to say, let's not blame the, the supplement. Let's just blame the trainer. I mean, the, the trainee. They're all jacked up on the supplement. Going, man, I'm going to crush all yeah, this. Yeah, man, I'm getting oh, this, bi- I'm getting this big pump. I'm getting this big pump from doing 20 sets of bicep exactly. work. This is, like, this is oh, incredible. To my, they, should, they should call that study the Martini Glass Syndrome. You know, so because that's yeah. the kind of body you would end up having. You know, when you train that way. I think you guys are right, and I'll tell you why. Because you guys probably know most of these studies, for some, you know, they always use untrained college students or untrained. Right, right. Yeah. Now think about it. When when, the, when these guys start training, what is their major focus on? Building bigger. On hey, how big's your bicep? How much could you bench? Those are the right. typical questions. Well, also, how much intensity do, does the average guy even put into the leg workout? Usually, exactly. it's just they go through the motions. Let me hit the chest ten exercises, biceps, and then. I'll, I'll throw in some leg presses at the very end, just half-assing it just to check it off. Well, the big well, thing is, it's like, you know, one thing about your legs, when you hit it hard, just like we were mentioning earlier, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to walk around. You don't want to do anything. You can hit the chest hard and the arms hard or whatever. You can still function and not oh, yeah. have to show, you don't even show that you, that you're in pain. <laughs> Whereas with the legs, it's like, oh, and I'm kind of walking around like an old man or like I got to stick up my butt, you know, and then people are going to ask me questions or what. No, if you do heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, the rest of the workout is just a gut check, man. I mean, exactly. you're just mentally pushing yourself through it because right. you're fried. <laughs> well, you know, we, we used to have an expression, I know, a muscle beach body. And what that meant was, you know, the muscle beach or the pit, they call it in Venice. You get a lot of guys there who, you know, you look at them, they have like these gigantic upper body, almost like pro bodybuilders, and they have these stick legs. And it turns out most of them just got out of prison. Now, I don't know how it is. This is years ago. I don't know if they still have weights in prison. I heard they were trying to get rid of them or something. But most of these guys, they had nothing to do but work out. And for some reason, they avoided the squat rack. They only did like heavy benches, heavy curl. So they get this huge upper body and stick legs. And also, I just wanted to confirm what you guys, uh, sincere, what you just said. And Mike, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who we all know, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it was very hard for him to train legs. What he would do in the original Gold's Gym, this is a little anecdote for you, he would grab anybody on the gym floor to train with him, to push him, because legs, training thighs was so painful to him, yeah. he had to be pushed. So I actually wound up training legs with Arnold a lot back then. But the problem with Arnold was, before a contest, he liked to do six sets of every exercise. Even back then, I, I couldn't get past three or four. My legs would lock up. Yeah. Because, because unlike Arnold... My thighs happened to be the strongest part of my body, and they were very responsive. So, you know, three or four sets of an exercise, they just locked up. 
So like the last three sets were dead. I mean, but Arnold insisted we do all six sets, but I was just, I was just kind of confirming what you guys are saying there about the legs. So I think, I think we've kind of solved that mystery. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's, let's get back to you. To, to, you know, there's a couple of things by, and, and uh, sincere that I think are really useful. And, uh, and there's pretty good research. I'll just mention a couple of them. We could comment on if you want me to stop me and we could talk about an individual, anything you want to know. Like sure. the first one I would mention is, for example, citrulline. Citrulline, of course, is a uh, it's an amino acid not really found in, in uh, food proteins. It is found in abundance in watermelon. Uh, but uh, and the, if you take about six to eight grams prior to training, what it does is is I call it an activated arginine. Mm. You know, arginine, a lot of guys take arginine before training to increase growth hormone or secondarily in more recent years to increase nitric oxide, which makes sense physiologically because arginine is a direct precursor for nitric oxide, like you guys know. So, you know, but see, the problem with arginine is when you take it orally, uh, it's, uh, you know, it has a, it has a, it has to go through a, 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 a you know, a bunch of barriers. Right. One, one of them is this enzyme called arginase in the gut, arginase, which kind of breaks it down before any substantial amounts can get into the blood. Now, when you take citrulline, it, it's kind of tr it, it's transported to the kidneys. The kidneys convert it back into arginine, goes directly in the blood, and then the arginine, once in the blood, it hits the NOS enzymes in nitric oxide synthetase, and it's converted to nitric oxide. So it's a much more direct and efficient way of getting your nitric oxide uh, increase. And, of course, you know what that does. That increases oxygen delivery to muscle. It increases the muscle pump effect through dilation. So, you know, citrulline is a definite, I believe, definite. Or, uh, and they recently found that citrulline, some recent studies show it's actually involved in fat oxidation and also, believe it or not, muscle protein synthesis, which, right. which is brand new. I mean, that, they, they didn't really imagine that years ago. So that's the first one. And then uh, the, it's also quite the pro-sexual supplement oh, yeah. as well yeah. of course of course you know for yeah. the same reason why people take arginine which is ineffective for the reasons you mentioned then it can cause a lot of gastric distress distress as well if you take too much well we know that Vi viagra all those uh, ed drugs they work basically by increasing cyclic gmb gmp which in turn boosts the localized nitric oxide production right dilates the blood vessel so it, it's kind of a bypass effect if you have let's say atherosclerosis down there or diabetes something that's preventing you or, or whatever, some sort of medical condition that's preventing you from getting an erection. This is more or less a bypass that will usually work. But I'll quickly add, and you guys also know this, that Viagra, while it will increase the nitric oxide effect in the down there, it, uh, it has no effect on libido. You know, a lot of people think it's a libido drug. It's not, you know, but there's other things for that, as you guys know, you know. Um, I, th I think I think that's that's true. But I think if if you haven't had an erection in a long time, right, and you take Viagra and all of a sudden you just have an erection, I think that's going to increase your libido, right? No, you you're, going, you're, you're going, man, it works. Like, you know, so hey. now you're like, I want to go use this. You know? I haven't <laughs> seen you in a long time. <laughs> that's a side effect that you, that's very positive. You're right. I didn't think about that. Because there's, there's no way you could just have a spontaneous erection and not have a subsequent increase in sex drive, <laughs> yeah. right? You're just like, hey, okay, taking candidates right now. Hey, here we are. Anyone? Takers? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, the next one I, I would mention is beta alanine. And now, when beta alanine first came out, uh, actually right before it came out, uh, I was writing for the magazines, and I was asked to uh, interview this company that had already had a, pat a use patent on it down in San Diego. So we, I drove down there, and uh, you know, the guy gave me a bunch of research, and I interviewed him. The guy who ran the company was a PhD, 
and uh, his product was called Carnison. Right. And, uh, you know, it was uh, basically beta alanine. And I, I wasn't familiar with that beta alanine prior to that, I admit that. But when I looked at the research, I was uh, so moved that I wrote in my article, I called it the next big creatine. The next creatine, you know, creatine was like the super supplement. Oh, yeah. As it, as it turns out, I was a little bit uh, over-enthusiastic. I mean, beta alanine never matched creatine. And a lot of the studies show that increases performance by an average of 2.9%, which doesn't sound very impressive until you look at the details. Sure. Now, uh, briefly, what does beta alanine do? Basically, it, uh, it, uh, the, uh, there's a substance uh, called carnosine, which is a dipeptide composed of two amino acids bonded together, histidine and beta, car uh, beta alanine. Histidine is found in abundance in the body, especially in muscle. So the rate-limiting, let's say, substance to produce carnosine <clears throat> is actually beta-alanine. And the thing is, if you if you take beta-alanine orally, you can increase your carnosine levels up to 64% within, I think it's 30 to 60 days, if I remember correctly. But now you, you say to you say to well, how come the studies? Oh, I, I forgot. I should say how it works. Carnosine is an intramuscular buffer. You know that burn effect you get that limits sets when you work out. Right. It's it's, a, it's called it's caused by the production of hydrogen ions, which interfere with energy uh, energy uh, producing enzymes or energy reaction enzymes, I should call them. And as a consequence, the muscle more or less dies once the acidity builds up. So the thought is, if you take something like beta alanine, you increase the carnosine content of muscle, you have a buffer effect, and that's what that's what's been shown. Uh, the problem, and the reason why I think you see this 2.9% figure with beta alanine, and I found this in my personal experience, by the way, is, you know, the range of beta alanine supplementation, the suggested dosage range, is 3.2 to 6.4 grams a day. When I started taking it, uh, I noticed an effect. You guys, if you ever use beta alanine, you, you might notice this. Oh, it's, yeah. called, it's called paresthesia. The, the niacin effect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It feels like a niacin flush. Your skin feels hot and itchy. Yeah. And some people find it very uncomfortable. It's a harmless effect. It's actually caused by the histidine that's found. The histidine is immediately converted partially to histamine. Histamine causes a dilation of subcutaneous blood vessels, and that's your paresthesia. That, so it's a harmless. It's all it is is a, basically a dilation. The warmth you feel is your own blood circulation, basically. So. You know, the thing is, uh, when I first took it, I, 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 right off the bat, I took, I think I took three grams. I got a massive case of this paresthesia. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I cut back to where I was taking, I, I believe I cut back to 800 milligrams uh, and I took it several times a day. Interestingly enough, studies came out about a year later suggesting that exact dosage schedule if you experience paresthesia, but I did it on my own. It just, you know, I just tried it and it worked. If I took less than a gram. And I, I think you adapt to that side effect over time too, because my experience is if I haven't taken beta alanine for a long time, a few grams will give me that effect. And then yeah. over the course of a few days though, it goes away. Even if I go to a much higher dosage. That's very true. So, but what, here's the thing. What I did is I, I so I started the, the you know, experiment with dosages and you know, the lower end dose 3.2 grams, quite honestly, I didn't really notice anything. And I took it in divided dosages as they suggested. Right. I didn't really notice anything. I didn't notice any increased endurance, nothing. And I was ready to write off the stuff as crap, honestly. I was ready to call it another HMB, you know the story with that oh, one. Oh, yeah, sure. So I said, okay, this stuff is garbage, you know. 
uh, even though I wrote two articles extolling its benefits. <laughs> but anyway, but you know, uh, call me a liar. I don't know. I, I, but I was going by the research, you know, and the research was very, very uh, optimistic. Let's put it that way. But here's what I did. Get this. I, I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up to the maximum suggested dose is 6.4 grams. When I did that, it was a world of difference. My God, I felt like I could, didn't need to rest between sets. It's amazing. I, I, I mean, my, my muscle endurance went up tremendously. It was huge, huge. And you know, the good thing about beta alanine, if you take it, let's say for a month or two, it actually stays in your muscle for like six months. Mm. It's not like creatine where it return, reverts back to baseline after 30 days. Beta alanine actually stays in your muscle for several months. So beta alanine, you know, if you, uh, I always tell people it's a kind of conditional pre-workout supplement in the sense that if you're not working out hard, you know, and intense enough to build up a lot of acid, yeah. you want know, people that go in and, you know, do 20 pound dumbbells and, you know, don't, you know, don't even bother with you wasting your money. If you're not training hard, you're not doing uh, intense anaerobic exercise, beta alanine is not for you. Yeah, I would say in particular high-volume workouts is where you notice the most difference. Something such as the German volume training that we just mentioned or high-volume sprinting. Right. Usually right. there's a drop-off point, let's say at set five or so, where something like beta alanine at the right dosage, you'll notice that you have that buffer that you mentioned where you can prolong the performance for a longer period of time. Right. Well, the next one, I, of course, you'd have to throw in creatine. Creatine, of course, works for 80% of people that use it. I mean, the 20% it doesn't work for usually are what they call, you know, chronic meat. You know, red meat is, uh, contains the highest amount of creatine. Well, no, it doesn't. Actually, it's, it's herring. Herring contains the, is the richest natural source of uh, creatine. But if you eat red meat a lot, you, you know, a couple of times a week, you're going to wind up loading your muscles with creatine. Mm -hmm. So if you take an exogenous creatine supplement, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do much at all, you know. And in fact, creatine, you know, would work. A guy like you, a vegan, Mike, creatine actually has been shown to work fantastically for vegans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I started taking creatine back in 1994, and it was night and day. When I started taking creatine at, let's say, I did the loading phase back then. Everyone, That was the big rage. You do 20, 30 grams a day for five days. I noticed a huge increase in performance after the first week, and then it felt like I was just adding weight or reps to each workout for months on end. So Yo, definitely, that, that's what they've found. Vegans are the ones who respond best for obvious reasons because they don't eat meat, and they they're uh, you know the the sources of creatine. I believe it's mostly animal food. It's a little difficult to get creatine. Of course, since creatine supplements are synthetic. They're perfectly suitable for vegans. I mean, right. I've, had, I've right. had vegans come up to me and say, you know, I want to use creatine, but you know, it's a meat. It's uh, it's I mean, isn't it a meat product? I don't, I want to avoid animals, and I, I point out, no, it's a uh, supplemental creatine is entirely synthetic. You know, you don't have to worry about that. Right. You know, so you know what they found is uh, there was various methods suggested to take creatine. Uh, usually, as you've mentioned, Mike, there's a load creatine load. Uh, the problem with that is after the first two days. You're excreting 50% of the creatine. You yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a waste. It's a waste of creatine in hindsight. If you just do five grams a day for yeah. a couple of weeks, you're going to load up just fine. That's true. In other words, what they found, you know, when the, when this research first came out in the early 90s, they used the creatine load, which was five grams, uh, five to six times a day for six days. It would load up your muscles. You know, they thought that was the best way. 
But, you know, later on, they realized that, that you were excreting most of it as creatine, the primary waste. Yeah, I mean, if you're taking 20, 30 grams a day, you just have this feeling like you have to urinate all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, know? you, you don't feel like you can urinate enough. I remember I was taking this supplement for a while, and I, I thought I was developing some health condition. I was like, man, I always feel like I have to urinate. Yeah, well, consider that. bladder problems? Like, what the hell? Well, you know, you have to consider the human body only makes one gram of creatine. You might, if you eat meat or something, or a rich source, you're getting another gram, gram. So, you know, your body's used to one to two grams. Suddenly you're taking in 30 grams, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to accept it. You know, it's going to throw half of it out. So, you know, now the current recommendation is to take, uh, you know, as you said, Mike, uh, about a teaspoon a day, which is five grams. Yeah. If you take it for 30 days, you get the same load effect as if you took a, the, you know, the creatine one week load and there's much less loss of creatine. So it's actually better to do it that way. Is there so, any is there any benefit of cycling it? Let's say eight weeks on, a couple weeks off, or do you want to just stay on it, stay on it consistently? Yeah. Well, that that's a very good question. That's another thing they 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 used to believe. the The limiting factor for creatine uptake into muscle is what they call the creatine transport pro, uh, protein. Now, the initial studies show that the best way to stimulate the creatine transport protein was to ingest insulin. You know, and that's the, that, I'm not, sorry, not, excuse me, let me pack up, not ingest insulin, stimulate insulin. Of course, the best way to stimulate insulin is to uh, eat carbohydrates, especially high glycemic carbs. So the early recommendations, you might recall, you guys, they told you to take your creatine with a fast acting carb for greater, oh, yeah. greater uptake, right? Can you hear me, Mike? Yeah. yeah, hold on one second. I just, uh, I was trying to hit the mute button. I hit my camera button instead. I was like, that's weird. Like, your, your arm popped up on my, on my screen. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> so, so anyway, so so uh, you know, so so they were the early recommendations were to take in a, uh, every time you had your let's say teaspoon of creatine, right. you were taking a pretty good amount of carbs. Of course, the problem with that was if you were like trying to lose body fat. Yeah, I was going to say know. everyone got fat as shit during that time period. <laughs> I remember EAS had that one creatine supplement and it had <laughs> 70 grams of 70 fucking 70. sugar yeah. per serving. It was ridiculous. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I remember I was taking that. I was in my early 20s and my face was breaking out like crazy. I was like, I was like, what's what's going on here? I mean, I haven't had acne in a long time. Yeah. It was because of all that simple sugar coming in. And you were taking it. You weren't just taking it once a day either. You exactly. were taking, they were recommending two to three servings a day. And I think it was 35 grams yeah, was, of sugar, yeah. not 70 but it was 35 grams of sugar per serving that's a lot three of I mean, yeah it was a lot of sugar you know but you know the thing is they believed it because insulin was thought to stimulate the creatine transport protein so it made sense physiologically physiologically later on well, my, my response to that though is how much creatine can you put in the muscles right because it's kind of like the saturation effect with the there isn't, there with, with a plant you know you, if, if i put a cup of water in a plant as opposed to a gallon it's going to absorb the same amount of water, right? The rest exactly. is just going to be excess. It's just going That's to be waste. Exact. Well, there is a finite amount of creatine, of creatine that can be absorbed. It's found in the muscle as, as free creatine and creatine phosphate. And once you have it loaded, it just spills over. You know, it's converted to creatine. That's a very valid point. No, I, I never liked this whole argument of spike insulin after working out to drive more protein into the muscle. It's like, well, how much more can you drive in? Right. But, <laughs> you know? yeah, but here's the thing. It turns out that, you know – you know, I mean, you know, the thing about research I have to always tell people is it's very plastic. What I mean by that, it's not made out of plastic. What I mean is that it changes oh, based yeah. on, on new findings might kind of like cancel out the old findings. Right. You always have to keep an open mind about this stuff. There's no, you know, end point yet for certain things. You know, things can always change, you know. And it turns out that with creatine, the transport of protein, 
the actual stimulus was not necessarily insulin, but it was something called the sodium-potassium ATP pump. It's a mechanism that basically uh, activates the creatine transport. It does a lot of other things in the body. You know, it's a very important uh, mechanism. Uh, only physiologists really know about this stuff, you know, but th this particular thing. But the point is this was the immediate thing that turned on. The, and, and the thing that turns on, this is going to kind of make you guys laugh, the thing that actually turns on the sodium-potassium pump is sodium, salt. <laughs> so, so theoretically, no, no big surprise there, right? Sodium <laughs> pump salt. <laughs> theoretically, if you wanted to turn on, you know, you might say at this point, well, does this mean that we should take our creatine with a, like maybe a, a, a teaspoon or a tablespoon of table salt? No, 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 no. You're getting enough salt. You don't have to worry right. about this. Only, only if you want diarrhea. That's exactly. that combination doesn't sound good. <laughs> I just want to make it really clear so nobody, nobody gets the wrong impression. Right. You do not need to take in any outside or exogenous salt. You already are taking in more than enough. So don't worry about it. My point being that the notion that you need to take in a lot of carbohydrates, you know, to, to, uh, to get this insulin effect to absorb, uh, creatine doesn't hold. In fact, what they found in later studies, you, you guys probably know whey protein, whey protein itself, a good quality whey stimulates a, a fairly decent insulin release. They found that if you take whey alone with creatine, you get enough of an insulin release to turn on the creatine, uh, the, the sodium potassium pump also. Because insulin does do it, but it does it secondarily. Is, is there something special about whey or what any protein powder do? Well, whey actually is, is, is preferable because soy probably would work too, actually, when I think like of pea protein or pea rice protein. protein. Yeah. I actually, I, any, any protein other than casein, in other words, fast or intermediate acting proteins, I think all would work as well. Right. But casein, because of its slow release, would not, I think. So some kind of isolate, whey protein isolate, pea protein isolate, rice protein isolate. Even soy would work, I believe. Yeah. The, the only problem with soy protein is that a lot of it's largely uh, used by the splanchic, you know, the internal organs. Uh, so I think a lot of it would be diverted to the internal organs, and it might not work as well as uh, some of the other proteins you mentioned. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I, whey protein definitely would work. So maybe a little bit of protein with creatine pre-workout. Yes. Certainly yeah. our, our post-workout as yeah. a recovery agent. Well, that, that's that's another – it's funny that you mentioned because I, I was going to say that uh, people always ask, when's the best time to take creatine? Um, actually, I always take mine before the workout. But yeah, me too. According to research, you know, the best time is after the re, uh, workout because you've depleted some of the creatine. It's the same principle as taking carbohydrates after the workout to, you know, to replenish your depleted glycogen stores. Uh, they say that the best time to take the uh, creatine is after the workout to replenish your depleted glycogen uh, uh, creatine. But my reasoning for taking creatine uh, is that, among other effects, it also has a buffer action, just like right. beta So, you know, anything that's going to help. Well, I mean, plus, if you take it before, then you probably won't be depleted after the well, workout. Right. Yeah. It's going to be in there when you work out. And, you know, it has that buffer effect. And I, in my mind, maybe it's in my mind, I think it allows me to train harder. So it's more or less a personal preference. I mean, if you want to take it before, take it before. Some of, some of the arguments were it causes cramping and stuff like that. I never yeah, found I that to be the no. case. I, th I think those were probably low-quality creatine products. I believe so. I believe they See, there's been a controversy. A lot of the creatine, I don't know if it's still if this is still true, but when creatine was really, really popular years ago, a lot of the creatine emanated from China. 
Uh, you know the thing about China, especially back then, the quality control was virtually non-existent. It was zero. And the thing is the creatine products, uh, in the course of making creatine synthetically, there are certain byproducts produced. One of them is a kind of a form of cyanide, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, boy. And the thing is, these things can produce, if they're not filtered out properly, if the quality control is low, you get side effects that include, sound, tell me if this sounds familiar, bloating, gastrointestinal distress. So you hit the nail right on the head, Mike. Anyone who's taken a creatine supplement who, uh, who, who experiences this gastrointestinal effect or bloating, odds are it's a low-quality creatine probably from China. Right. I, but I should also say this. Creatine, as you know, it's made, it's actually synthesized in the body from three amino acids, methionine, cysteine, and glycine. Because, you know, if you know anything about amino acids, when you take them in concentrated form, they tend to draw fluid into the gut. It's an effect called osmos- osmosis. Mm. And I almost said Ozzy and Harry. I don't know why I'm thinking of that for 50. So. <laughs> the thing is, it, draw, it draws uh, fluid into the intestine, you know. And uh, some people are a little sensitive to this effect especially if they're a little bit dehydrated, if you don't consume enough fluid, they will get a little bit of gastrointestinal effect. There's two ways to solve that problem. One way is by getting a form of creatine called micronized creatine, where the granules of creatine are tiny. Usually it tends to draw less fluid into the gut. The second uh, way, and I I, I almost hesitate to say this because I almost feel like I'm commercializing here and I don't like to do that. I I hate to do that. There is one form of creatine called uh, creatine hydrochloride or creatine HCL. Have you guys ever heard of that? Yeah, sure. There's a what's what's the company that sells that? There's one company that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like to advertise when. I'm, yeah, yeah. But is is that any better though than let's say Crea Pure, a high quality creatine monohydrate? Uh, here's the answer to that. You know, and again, I, I hesitate to say this because I feel like I'm being a chill for this company, but <laughs> what the studies have shown is that creatine HCL, and I'm going to, I'm going to modify this, you know, creatine HCL does have a 60% greater absorption rate than creatine monohydrate. It's the highest absorbed creatine, but, but absorption doesn't necessarily mean muscle, you know, muscle content. Right. And head to head, this is the important point. And, you know, the company's now going to, they love me for saying creatine. Now they're going to hate me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> when compared hate um, when, when compared head to head between creatine hydrochloride and creatine monohydrate. In other words, if you take, you take the same two, let's say, creatine supplements, and then you measure the amount of creatine actually loaded, uh, you know, stored in the muscle, it's the same. It's the same. Makes no difference. So even though the creatine hydrochloride is absorbed greater than creatine monohydrate, in the end. It doesn't really make much difference as far as the muscle. Right. Goes. There's no greater increase in performance. No greater, no greater. That's the that's the part that's often left out. Right. Exactly. Of certain ad copy, right? Go way better absorption. Okay. What does that mean, though? <laughs> right. In terms of actual performance. Well, I remember when creatine. You remember this form of creatine called creatine ethyl ester years ago? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. There's been so many. There was creatine phosphate. That was. Yeah, they, yeah. they were tra- they were trying to compete with creatine monohydrate back in the day. Right. Well, creatine ethyl ester. That was actually discovered. <laughs> it was discovered in, in 1922, and that was hardly new. Oh, really? And, and the thing is, uh, the early studies were, were, sh- were they used it to show the because it was so rapidly changed to creatine. They were using it to like like measure creatine kinetics. In other words, it was considered a worthless form of creatine. <laughs> 
and, and, and a journal article came out in 1955 stating just that, that creatine ethyl ester was useless, basically, as a creatine supplement. Yet, somebody dug it out of, of uh, wherever it was, and you know, it was a limbo, and, and decided to market it as a supplement. And they came up with this advertising thing about it being, you remember this, 400% better <laughs> yeah. than regular creatine. Yeah. <laughs> right away aroused my, my uh, suspicions. I'm thinking, wait a minute, how can it be foreign? Sure. I, I love when a company says, and th- this is different. This is a different context than what you just mentioned. But I love when a company says 400% greater than XYZ supplement, and they leave out the part that the XYZ supplement is completely useless. So, <laughs> so 400% better than zero, right. still or, zero. Or, or very often they're comparing like a protein supplement to a carbohydrate supplement, <laughs> and they're saying the protein builds more muscle. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, what a shock! You compared it to a pure carbohydrate supplement. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> getting back to this, uh, so the creatine ethyl ester, it was absorbed faster, sure enough, and it showed a higher blood level. But what they didn't tell you, and this is what subsequent studies showed, it was almost immediately within 30 minutes turned into creatinine. <laughs> it never got into the muscle. It's useless crap. So the thing is, you know, my point is when you consider getting back to the creatine ACL, <clears throat> Absorb the greater absorption. That's of only interest if, if you're again, if you're in that category where, you know, you have, you do experience some gastrointestinal or bloating effects when you take creatine, they might want to try creatine HCL. Again, you're not going to get a greater effect than normal creatine monohydrate, but it might be a little easier on your gut. So that's what I'd say about that. I've always found that creatine with hot water, hot tea. Just seems to work. I don't know if there's anything to that. Does it help with the digestion? Of seems it like well, it seems like it dissolves completely when. No, you that's know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. In fact, in fact, the uh, the original studies from back in the '90s when they gave creatine, they actually gave it in in uh, hot t- in uh, warm to hot tea. Yeah. It was actually given, and, and I remember asking. Ever hear Paul Greenhalf? I don't know if you know who he is. He was the actual one of the original creatine researchers back in the night. He's from England. And I was at a conference where he was talking about creatine, and some guy had just written an article saying that caffeine interferes with creatine uptake, you know, and uh, and I, I wasn't sure about this. So Greenhalf, I, I, I raised my hand and I asked uh, Professor Greenhalf, the guy who wrote that was standing right behind me in line, believe it or not. So, you know, and he was a kind of a prick. And I, I wanted to embarrass him. I admit there was an ulterior motive here. You know? So I, knowing this guy was standing right behind me, I said to Paul Greenhalf, I said, Professor Greenhalf, I, I said, I, I read something recently that uh, that caffeine interferes with creatine uptake. And that's when he told me, he said, well, that's interesting because our original studies, which involved the creatine loading uh, regime, we, we were all we all gave the subjects creatine dissolved in warm tea. And we found that the, the warm beverages made the creatine more soluble. Yeah. So you're right. You hit it right on the head, Mike. That's exactly true. If you drink it in a warm beverage, and it can be tea, and it, well, you can have some coffee with it if you want. I mean, that's still a bit controversial on the coffee, on the, on the caffeine effect. But, but the point is, uh, a warm fluid does make creatine more soluble. That is a, that's very true. Very true. You guys are silent. Hello? No, I was just waiting for you to move on to the next supplement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's I, I don't want to interrupt you. Here, let's do what was probably – this one's probably, I, I think, right now, other than caffeine, 
This is my favorite pre-workout. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a supplement. It's beet juice. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of yeah. juice. Of course, is really not really a supplement, although uh, from what I could see, some people are packaging it now. Well, that's also going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, they have the, the, the powders, powders and all that. Yeah. yeah, is that different than that just, just the, making the authentic juice source? Juicer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not sure because you know it's kind of comparable. I haven't really lo- actually looked at those products. I don't know how they're processed or made. I know that they're extremely expensive. I mean, I was thinking of getting one myself, you know, but when I looked at the price, I said, forget it, man. I'll just use regular beets at a fraction of the price, a fraction of the price. But to see, it's kind of comparable to, you know, vegetables. Uh, you guys have heard probably, uh, you, 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 I'm sure Mike, you know about this, uh, you know, cause you're a vegan. You know about the, the benefits of cruciferous vegetables. A lot of it has to do with these compounds called glucosinates found in there that are converted into sulforaphane, which is an extremely, extremely beneficial substance thought to prevent, among other things, various types of cancer, exactly, breast cancer, prostate cancer, even helps to prevent heart disease, atherosclerosis. It's like a miracle substance, right? Now, a couple, now, now, a lot of people, Mike, including myself, unfortunately, do not like the taste of cruciferous vegetables. So as an option, this, uh, a lot of companies offer, for example, broccoli capsules or, let's say, cruciferous uh, powder and all that kind of stuff. The problem with that is you can't – you know the old saying, you can't fool Mother Nature? Yeah. Right. This is a perfect example because the the stuff that's found in vegetables is actually a precursor. You can call it a pro-hormone if you want. It's yeah. a precursor to actual, to the active sulforaphane and, and uh, indolamines that are active – the stuff is a precursor to activate it when you chew or cut into the vegetables, let's say broccoli, Brussels sprouts, whatever, mm-hmm. you release an enzyme called myrosinase. Myrosinase has to activate the precursor to turn it into the active compounds. Myrosinase is a very sensitive enzyme, easily destroyed. If you try and package it in a supplement, by the time it's you finish processing, it's gone. So all these broccoli supplements. So stuff such as DIM, Indole, three carbonyl. You don't think they're they're that useful? No, DIM is a, is already that's 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 a final product. That's okay. So that's the end result of this process. So yeah, Indole carbonyl is also okay. Yeah, they're the end product. I'm talking about sulforaphane. Okay, that, that one has to be converted by by uh, myrosinase. Myrosinase is not found in any supplements. So when you take these things. You might be getting a little dim. You might be getting the endo, like you mentioned, but you're not getting any sulforaphane at all. Right. You really get that from the fresh vegetable. Now, you say to me, okay, what does this have to do with beet juice in the supplement? My problem with the supplement is uh, is that I don't know if this supplement contains the compounds, for example, the, the if it contains the, the nitric nitrates, that the same level that are found in natural beets and beet juice, you know, to be effective. If it doesn't contain these compounds and possibly some unknown compounds that are involved in the conversion of nitrates into nitrites and consequently uh, nitric oxide, then you have, again, just a beet powder. So that's my hesitation right there. So I would, I would to, to sum it up, I would stick with beet juice itself. And, and the thing to, there's uh, two things to remember about beet juice. First is the right, correct amount to take, which is six to eight ounces. And this is very important. And I failed to mention this in my early uh, videos about beet juice. 
which I regret, but my excuse being at the time I did those videos, they didn't, nobody knew what I'm about to tell you. So I, I apologize to anyone listening to this who listened to my prior videos. But the truth is, if you're going to get an effect from beet juice, it has to be ingested two and a half to as much as three hours before you train because it takes time. Because, again, we're dealing with precursors. The, the, uh, the substance found in beet juice or beets is nitrates. Nitrates have to be uh, converted by uh, 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 bacteria, certain oral bacteria, convert them into nitrates. Nitrates are, you swallow them, and they convert it in the gut through, uh, again, enzymes into nitric oxide. See? Now, the thing is, if you, let's say, use a uh, one of those uh, uh, antiseptic mouthwash things, you know, yeah. and you knock out most of the uh, bacteria in your mouth, and then you drink beet juice, you're not going to get the conversion. You're wasting the beet juice. Mm. I'm not saying, well, if you like beet juice, you're still getting beet juice. But yeah. you're not going to get the, the full benefit. Right. So, so that's an important point. Is Again, you got to give it some time because all this conversion, it takes two and a half to three hours to become nitric oxide. If you just, you know, gulp it like, you know, 15 minutes before going to the gym, nothing's going to happen. And the, the same is true with carnitine. You know, a lot of people I still see guys take a bottle of, of liquid carnitine out of the locker and swish and they go on the gym floor. It takes time for carnitine to be incorporated in a certain enzyme called CAT, which helps transport fatty acids into the mitochondria. It takes about 90 minutes. So if you're taking carnitine right before you train, it's not going to do anything for yeah. you. And, yeah. just, and I'll just say real quick, tangentially, you know, we were talking about the sugar. The newest studies show that, you know, carnitine, when you take it orally, it, almost none of it gets into the muscle. You get a high blood, here we go again, you get a good absorption, a high blood level, but none of it, get, very few, very little of it gets absorbed into the muscle. The same researcher that did the, that Paul Greenf again, the same guy who did the early creatine studies, found that if you give, get this, 95 grams of, car, of, of, of uh, sugar, 95 grams of sugar, you take it with a dose of carnitine, you increase the uptake of carnitine in muscle 17%. But think about all that sugar. Yeah. He's telling people to take it, for, uh, I think it's four to six times a day. My God, you take forget it. 600 grams of carbohydrate. Whatever possible benefit there could be from the carnitine is going to be nullified by yeah. that much sugar. Well, you know, needless to say, they're recommended strictly for long-distance endurance athletes. <laughs> so, for obvious reasons. Anyway. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to need to go run a marathon <laughs> after you ingest that to burn off that much sugar. With with the beet juice, could you add it to, let's say, a – I like to have a protein shake two hours before I work out. So if I just put the beet juice in that, would that work or does it need to be taken alone? No, it, it would work. Okay. Um, as long as you you know you keep the time uh, frame in mind. Right. Know, it's about two and a half, three hours. You know, it, the protein, as far as I know, will not interfere with it. In fact, of course, the protein will be complete. It'll be in your bloodstream, too, which is good because, you know, amino acids in your blood when you're training have an anti-catabolic effect. So they'll actually help you recover. And, and six to eight ounces of beet juice, that's quite a bit. So that, that's about six beets, give or take, Yeah. given yeah. how big they are. You can, you can go as low as four ounces, if I remember correctly, but, but it has to be a minimum of four ounces. Yeah, about four, four, four to, uh, up to eight ounces. Anymore. Yeah, if, if you need that much, then I can see why the beet powder may not measure up because a, te a teaspoon of beet powder is is nothing compared to eight I, ounces of actual beet root I, juice. 
I, I can't see how they could concentrate that. I, I mean, if they put that much nitrite in, in a, I mean, you, you know, you, it could be a little dangerous there because nitrites are not, uh, you know, they could be, they could be toxic in large amounts. I mean, there's been warnings about this in medical journals because all these guys are using, you know, nitrites, uh, you know, to increase nitric a- uh, oxide. In fact, the old, uh, in the old days, they thought nitrite was a, uh, was an actual carcinogen because it combined in the stomach with amino acid byproducts called amines to form a substance called nitrosamine, which is, uh, can cause stomach cancer. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing to play with. So I, right now, uh, I have to admit, even though I haven't seen these beet powders or whatever they are, I would not recommend them at this point. I'd go with the regular beet juice. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I just can't because I, I, I see too many problems. Even if you, even if you exclude the, the ridiculous price they're charging, yeah, right. it was something like sixty dollars a bottle or something like that. It was crazy, you know. But anyway, uh, the next one I, I'd recommend uh, is obvious. I mean, you know, it almost requires no explanation. It's like those shows where they say, "Here's a, our next guest." Requires no introduction. <laughs> it's caffeine, you know, and, and you know, you know how caffeine works. Basically, caffeine works by kind of blocking what they call adenosine receptors. Adenosine is a substance again made from amino acids. It's produced in the body, especially in the brain. And what it does is it kind of relaxes you, and uh, you know, it's needed to help you sleep. And it also, by the way, it also dilates uh, coronary arteries. And I'll get to that in a second. There's a little thing here that people should know. But the thing about uh, caffeine is uh, by, by blocking adenosine receptors, it kind of increases your energy. And, of course, it does a couple of other things. It increases catecholamine release. Catecholamines like norepinephrine, epinephrine, will stimulate hormone-sensitive lipase and allow you to release a little bit extra fat from your fat cells. You know, so it actually – and by doing that, theoretically, if you're training more than two hours – It'll spare glycogen and allow you to train harder for longer periods. But the thing to really remember about caffeine is, you know, and you can get it from, oh, by the way, the uh, uh, common question, which works better, pure caffeine or, 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 or coffee, you know, a good source of caffeine. A recent study, believe it or not, showed that coffee, you know, if you, if you go dose for dose, coffee actually works better than caffeine itself. And they, and they think it's because of the, the natural polyphenols. This is why coffee is so healthy. It contains these polyphenol compounds that are extremely protective. <laughs> oh, somebody's commentating on that. You know, it lowers diabetes uh, risk by 60% because of, of, of another compound in it, you know, but, uh, but, uh, the point is that the, the proper dosage, pre-workout dosage for the caffeine is at least uh, three grams. I'm sorry, three milligrams per kilogram of body weight. That's that's the amount if you want to get an ergogenic effect. What does that come out to? For a guy weighing about 200 pounds, I believe it comes out to about four to five cups of coffee. Oh, you know, I'm doing, that, so I'm doing well. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost this, but that that much pre-workout or total? Yeah. No, this that's, is, that's right. a lot of coffee to drink pre-workout. No, this would yeah. be pre. This is if you want to get it. Uh, could you hold on? I, 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 my dog is barking. Yeah, that's fine. Go no to One second. Hold on. Sure, sure. Take your time. All right. Hold on. Yeah, you might be doing well since here, but you're not drinking that much coffee no, before you work out. Work out. <laughs> no, first of all, like I would. You're like four cups. I'm doing great. Pre-workout. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's, <laughs> like, no, that's throughout the day, you know. So, because <clears throat> yeah, pretty much like um, and and then. 
that's not every day as well for me too, because yeah. again, we've talked about it before. I don't want to get to the point where I'm not even enjoying the coffee anymore at that right. point. So, but yeah, that, like for me, it's like throughout the day. So no, I'm sipping here and there, you know, I may have a cup here and then I may wait another hour or two just while I'm working and then have another cup and then pre-workout probably about an hour and a half before that. And, but a lot of times pre-workout, I tend to go more with like green tea. I, you know, I tend to like that pre-workout before that. So. Well, you know, the, the thing about, uh, you know, to answer your question, Mike, uh, actually you want to have that full amount if you, if you want an ergogenic effect. Right, you just right. want to like, you know, get a little buzz or, you know, uh, increases the sense of energy. You don't need that much. You know, one or one or two cups is fine. But I'm saying if you really want a, a situation where you're actually a little bit stronger, then you have to take three milligram uh, per kilogram uh, of, and you know, I, I, I think you should probably sip it rather than down at one after. I had a, right. years, years ago, I used to, uh, when I first started writing, I used to take a legal pad. And, and write rough drafts in, in restaurants, and, and I would sit and drink coffee for hours, you know. And uh, one time I lost count, and I remember I think I drank about 15 cups over the course of <laughs> an hour and a half. Because I, I know this because I went to a bookstore that was right next to the restaurant afterwards, and I remember looking at a book, and suddenly I felt these this weird sensation in my chest. I was having heart arrhythmias mm-hmm. from, from too much caffeine, you know, and, and it scared. The, it's a very Scary. I don't guys if you guys ever had this, but it, it, it creates an immediate involuntary sense of panic mm. where you actually break out in a cold sweat. You feel like you're going to die. And I didn't know. I wasn't sure what to do. Now, today, I know the antidote, as we talked about last time, would be theanine. Right. Back then, I didn't know that. So what I did is I said, I got to move to work off this caffeine. So <laughs> I asked, there was a big parking lot outside. I started walking around the parking lot about 20 times. People are looking at me like I'm some sort of mental patient. <laughs> I was walking around this parking lot over and over again. I wasn't talking to myself, and this was the days before uh, cell phones. So, you know, I, I was, you know, it wasn't one of those things. But anyway, so, so, so maybe uh, that would be – so if you have four cups of coffee before you work out, and let's say you're prone to just the side effects of overstimulation from the caffeine, perhaps taking theanine with that would balance that equation now so you still get the performance benefits without the downside. You actually would. That, that would, Just like it would work as a smart – I don't want to call it drug – smart technique, it would yeah. also work to, to tone down the caffeine. Because right. remember, the theanine, you know, it, 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 what it does is it kind of relaxes you without making you tired. It's not like it's going to put you to sleep. So it would be an ideal way to do it if you have any sensitivity to caffeine. Of course. Well, also, when you think about four cups, a cup is not that much. No, really. Yeah. Like, when I think of when you when I first heard you say four cups, I'm thinking the first thing that came to mind are just those large cups we see people walking yeah. around with. But that's several servings of coffee. That's actually, and that's keep in mind, one. and when, when it comes to coffee, when they refer to cups in the coffee world, it's different than cups as far as us having juice or water or something like. That. It's not eight ounces. You know, in the coffee world, it could be five ounces or six. Yeah, know, so. and the truth is that. Uh, I believe with, with, a, with a true cu- a cup of coffee is only five to six ounces. Exactly. You know, so I mean, my cup that I drink is uh, is it looks like it's about two cups of coffee. So uh, my cup is about a ten ounce. Now, cup. now, would this benefit still be there if you're regulated to caffeine, meaning you drink coffee every day? So you don't really you don't really get much of a kick off it anymore because you're just acclimated to it. You're right. No, what, unfortunately, that is true. Yeah. You get acclimated to it, and after a while. You're not going to get the same kick. That's I've, I've only I've only ever found caffeine to be a performance enhancer if I use it infrequently. That that's the way. That's very true. That's exactly right. If you do it every day, after a while, you, you're going to get much less benefit. It's you're not going to even. It's better if you really want a good kick from it. 
it's better to use intermittently. That's very true. And another thing to consider, and this is something I was, I was going to mention. Remember I talked about how, how caffeine blocks adenosine. It turns out that adenosine is one of the things that dilates your coronary arteries when you work out. And now if you take a lot of caffeine, if you're one of these people, let's say that has uh, occult heart disease and you take in a lot of caffeine before you work out, you're basically making your heart work harder because you're blocking the adenosine that would normally cause a dilation of your coronary arteries. So this is something to consider. I mean, a lot of people might have some you know, problems. Uh, let's say you already have atherosclerosis without even knowing about it. Right. And they got to be careful about taking caffeine. And the last thing I'll say about caffeine is to warn people about this thing on this says trend lately to sell caffeine powder as a pre-workout uh, su- uh, supplement. Extremely dangerous. The actual dose, believe it or not, the actual dose is only one sixteenth of a teaspoon. There's, a, there's been people, I, I, some 18-year-old kid died when he took a teaspoonful. I mean, that's yeah. equivalent to 100 cups of coffee. So, you know, uh, I, I would steer clear of that. Well, that raises concern about a lot of pre-workout drinks that have right. caffeine because how much are you – it may vary per scoop how much caffeine you're actually taking that's, in. That's very true. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you could wind up taking too much caffeine without realizing it. Right. You know, I mean, uh, again, excess, excess caffeine, as it did with me, which just drinking that coffee that day. It can, it can throw a person with a normal, healthy heart into an arrhythmic state. It would be dangerous. I mean, I mean, just look at the size of a caffeine pill, 200 milligrams, 200 right? It's really small. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So now now you now you think of a powder and how you can easily overdo do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, well, I'll just move on to uh, the last one here. Sure. Which is, uh, you know, uh, this is, again, something that not everyone might want to try. You guys are pretty active. You might have tried this along the way. I don't think, I don't recall I ever tried this, but it's basically sodium bicarb, baking soda, you know, uh, sodium carb. You know, the dose is, uh, it's uh, 300 milligrams per kilogram. That's the ergogenic dose, 300 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. The problem with that is that eat, that dose also contains, here we go again, 82 milligrams of sodium per dose. So <laughs> getting a pretty hefty dose of sodium, and that sodium can cause a lot of gastrointestinal I was about to say, yeah, bloating, yeah. You get something called explosive diarrhea. Yeah, what, what was the name <laughs> yeah. of that Twin Lab supplement that sold? It was called Phosphagen or something like that. Yeah, Fossil Fuel. It was, yeah, Fossil yeah. Fuel. That's it. It was it predated creatine. I remember that was all the rage for yeah, a while. Yeah. Well, it was based basically almost <clears throat> like because phosphate is a uh, is also a buffer. It's a buffer. If you load up the muscle with phosphate for four days before activity, you get a true buffer effect. It's real. You know, that, that I actually gave that to athletes in the 90s. It was a pretty good supplement. Yeah. I, I guess it wasn't popular, so they took it off. As far as I know, it's not available anymore. But I, I think I think it was just mistargeted marketing, right? It works well for endurance athletes, but it was targeted more towards the strength athlete. Exactly. And I think a lot of people who lift weights, powerlifting, etc., who took it didn't really notice much benefit. Right. But people that did long distance exercise noticed a huge benefit, but it wasn't marketed towards them. So right. it, was, it was just poor marketing strategies. Exactly. Well, the sodium bicarb, you know, the best way to avoid the gastrointestinal problems, which are fairly common, actually, if you take it like right before training or sports, is to take it like 60 to 90 minutes. Make sure that you take it with a, a pretty good amount of carbohydrates. Believe it or not, carbohydrates somehow prevent a lot of the nausea effect. Or you can actually take it, uh, take a meal. You like shortly after you take the bicarb, it'll still work, but it'll completely block any ga- gastrointestinal effects. 
And another thing to remember, this is the final thing I'll say. Oh, by the way, sodium carbonate, uh, I should mention, it's an extra. Just remember we talked about how carnosine is an intramuscular buffer. Sodium bicarb is an extramuscular buffer. It works in the blood. What it does is it kind of pulls the acid out of the muscle into the blood. Once it gets into the blood, the sodium bicarb it, it alkalinizes it. It buffers it. So they, they, that's your uh, buffer effect. Uh, there's, there is something to, to warn people about, which I almost never read anywhere, but there's a certain percentage of people who, who use this dose that I mentioned of sodium bicarb, and they get severe panic attacks, and then nobody really knows why. Huh. It's something to, to watch out for. You know, if you ever try this, and, you know, I, I really, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like risky to mention this because, you know, it's like a nocebo effect. If you tell somebody it's going to happen, or it could possibly happen, you know, it happens, you know. Yeah. So, but it, it does happen with some people. I just thought I'd mention that. And then that's basically my, my, uh, those are what I think are the, some of the most effective. I probably left a couple out that you might know, Mike, you know, but those are the ones that based on research that I think would work for 99.9% of people, you know, engaged in, uh, what do you, what do you think about glutamine in particular, the more recent transanal glutamine? Well, it's, uh, definitely absorbed. So yeah, and, and then it, then it goes back to the argument: better absorption means better what? Yeah, potentially nothing. Yeah, I mean the thing is about glutamine is glutamine is kind of like in a gray area. Uh, you know, it's actually considered what they call a conditional amino acid. Yeah, since it can be made in the body from other amino acids. You know, but like you know, but the thing is, uh, under certain conditions like high stress uh, or immune suppression, that kind of thing. You you need a little extra glutamine. I think for gut health, it has some some benefits. That's, that's where I I look at it more as a gut health supplement than anything else. There's no question. I mean, your, your gut, you know, your lining of your gut, it kind of sheds every three days has to be replaced. I mean, if you had a bad case of food poisoning or something like that, just loading up on some glutamine during and after can be really restorative. I think it would. I, I definitely agree. And glutamine is a preferential fuel. That's the problem with oral glutamine because yeah. it's sucked up by those cells. Most of it doesn't get to the muscle. The intestinal cells just suck it up. I kind of look at that as a positive thing, right? When people spin that and they go, oh, yeah, it just goes to the gut. I go, well, the gut's important. <laughs> so that's not a bad thing. If it's actually improving my gut health, that's a positive thing. Well, you know, they're thinking uh, is that if it doesn't get into the muscle, it's useless. Right. Where- people, people don't – I mean people don't realize that <laughs> – it doesn't matter what gets into the muscle if you have gut issues. Right, exactly. <laughs> you're not going to have good performance. Yeah. So if you, if you don't have good gut health, then you're not going to be healthy enough to build muscle and get stronger. Right. So, you know, basically to sum it all up on the pre-workout, I'd say people should, you know, I, I don't recommend using all of these at once, you know, though you could theoretically. Could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what everyone, that's what everyone listening right now is thinking, but you could. I can't well, wait I, to stack all that. <laughs> I think that the supplement that I wrote about, the supplement that I wrote about last month had everything I mentioned except sodium bicarb. Okay. So, you know, it is possible, you know. I mean, uh, I, I, I would recommend that you do train your legs, <laughs> you know, to avoid that that kind of weird effect where you get no leg development. Well, frankly, that should be the point of taking pre-workout stuff so you can hit the money exercises, deadlift, squats, etc. Yeah. harder. Exactly right. I don't I don't I don't need to take a pre-workout drink to hit curls harder. Oh, and you don't need it for abs either. <laughs> yeah, it should be for those money exercises where you want that extra boost to power through. Yeah, but you know. There's a controversy. A lot of people, you know, talk about how, oh, these supplements don't work. They're all snake oil, you know. Let me tell you something. 
I, I, you know, I'm like a flat statement. These supplements that I mentioned really do work. I've tried, except for the sodium bicarb, I, and I use caffeine all the time. I try, I try, I've tried all of them and I could testify they do work. There's no placebo effect. There's plenty of research behind it. They work and they would really help somebody that wants to increase their work and intensity. I think you have to get the dosage right and then you have to utilize it. A reputable brand yeah, exactly. to determine whether it works or not. Very true, very true, and that will vary. I mean, some people I've heard, I've uh, encountered people, you know, that range of citral, for example, six eight grams. I've encountered people where they got nauseous at eight grams, yeah. but handle six grams. So again, it's going to take some experiment. Like me with the beta alanine, the lower end of value, three point two uh, grams, didn't do anything. When I got to six point four, I was like running around the room. Well, so, citrulline. I've used around four grams pre-workout. You definitely get a more pronounced pump. That's right. for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no, no question about it. It's good stuff. And that can be a performance enhancer. Some people are like, well, I don't care about the pump. And it's like, I don't really care about the pump either, but, I, but I'm not going to lie and say that it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> act as a I'm not going to get pissed off when I get when it. Training like- and you're all, yeah, exactly. When you're, when you're working that hard and you're just filling up like that, you're like, man, this is awesome. This is great. It just motivates you to push harder. Right. So you guys want to move on to something else now? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about oh, when we've been on for a while. I don't know how much time we have to get into all that. I don't know how much time you have, Jerry. Well, I, I have. Well, <laughs> let, I mean, do you want to save mTOR and IGF-1 and AMPK for another episode, or what do you think? Well, uh, AMP, there's kind of a lot to talk about there. I'm right. Maybe yeah. we should. Well, why, why don't we just do this? Why don't we focus on IGF-1 pros and cons? Because there's there's a lot of controversy out there right now. We're on one camp. You hear IGF-1 is great for building muscle recovery or restoration. And then the other hand, you hear you don't want it to go beyond a certain level because it can fuel cancers and other nefarious things. Yeah. Well, that is true. It's very controversial. I know, of course, there's the aging thing where, you know, in animals – when they are more or less, uh, when they have, let's say, low IGF-1 levels or they have a situation where the IGF-1 doesn't interact with its receptors, the animals live like 30% longer. Yeah. And this has led to a lot of uh, researchers suggesting that, you know, in humans, uh, you know, if you, <laughs> these people that are using growth hormone, which, of course, increases IGF-1, you know, they're actually shortening their lives rather than increasing it because of IGF-1. Uh, but, you know, here we go again with this antagonistic pleiotropy, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. IGF-1 is, uh, uh, you know, you, you, to say that we don't need IGF-1 is a big mistake because IGF-1 is needed, among other things, to maintain neurons in the brain, to maintain your heart muscle, and to maintain your connective tissue. So it's kind of a bit of a dilemma because, uh, sure enough, when they've tested older humans who are over 100 years of age, they have normal blood levels of uh, IGF-1, but for some reason, you know, they have the same thing the animals show. Their IGF receptors are a little bit defective. So they seem to, like, get the benefits of IGF-1, but they don't get the negatives, which is, like, you know, premature aging and that kind of thing. So, uh, but well, you know, that, well, that makes me wonder. If someone has a large amount of IGF-1 showing up on a blood test, is that because it's not getting picked up at the receptor level? Uh, it depends. Uh, you know, it could be that, you know, maybe they're, I don't know, uh, uh, the first thing I would think about is possibly overactive pituitary gland, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, that's what causes gigantism, you know. the uh, It's usually with a, uh, a small tumor right. on the uh, pituitary gland that it causes excessive release of, of growth hormone. Yeah. 
of course, if they're taking IGF-1 drugs, they're also going to show a high level in the blood. But uh, as far as the cancer thing goes, I, I mean, uh, it's like a chicken and egg thing is the best way to look at it. Because, uh, I guess the question is, is, th- is this something that we should try to increase? IGF-1? Yeah. Uh, yes. You know, it's, it's hard to answer that question. So let's say let's say if your blood level is around 200, right? A lot of anti-aging doctors will say 200 and above is what they consider an optimal level. Right. So let's say if you're at 200 to 250, maybe you just leave it alone. If you're way below 200, then you should have a goal of increasing it. Would that be fair? Well, you know, let me let me modify the answer by saying that the best way to answer that question is to say you want to definitely definitely increase intramuscular IGF-1. Ah, okay. Because you basically have, you know, there's actually several forms of IGF-1, you know, and uh, in the muscle, if I, if I remember correct, I forget whether there's two or three variants, they're called splice variants. You have IGF-1, and then you have one called mechanical growth factor, which is a splice variant produced in the muscle. And then you have the other type of IGF-1, which is produced directly in the liver, and the thing that stimulates that is growth hormone. Now, the one produced in the liver is systemic IGF-1, and this does maintain the neurons, the heart, you know, the connective tissue. It's important. But the thing is, uh, what they found, strangely enough, is that the IGF-1 that's produced in your, let's say, the systemic IGF-1, it, it's not really needed for muscle growth. Right. They, 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 they experimented with, with animals, and they showed if you do something to completely block systemic IGF-1, and you do everything else right, the animals still show muscle hypertrophy. So what they realize now is it's the it's the IGF-1 produced directly, intramuscular IGF-1. This is extremely important for muscle. It's probably, you know, they say insulin is the most anabolic. I disagree. I say the most anabolic hormone is uh, kind of a tie between testosterone and intramuscular IGF-1. Yeah. And when I, what IGF-1 does, is it stimulates the differentiation and development uh, of what they call satellite cells, which are muscle stem cells needed for muscle repair and growth. So IGF-1, I mean, uh, you know about this gene therapy thing. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, they they, uh, they combined uh, uh, a form of IGF-1 with a, uh, a viral vector and they, uh, to, to allow it to be transported directly into cells. They gave it to mice. And the mice, within two weeks, again, I, I might have the figure wrong. It's been years. I think they experienced 27% increased muscle growth mm. with no exercise. Wow. That, that gives you an idea of the power of intramuscular IGF-1. Is, is, there, is there a way to measure intramuscular levels of IGF-1? Because just a blood test just shows you what's floating around the bloodstream. It doesn't necessarily show you what's going on at the muscular level. Yeah, unfortunately, the blood test, I think that's more, more of a systemic IGF-1. Measure. Right, right. I, I'm sure there is ways. I don't know of any offhand, you know. I'm sure there is ways. Yeah. And I don't know any. But uh, they're actually talking about if they uh, using, uh, you know, this, this gene therapy. The idea is if you could uh, take people that are suffering from frailty and sarcopenia, you know, muscle loss with age. If you could inject, uh, you know, this IGF-1 uh, directly into the muscle, uh, the theory, this is like really incredible to think about. The theory is you give this to a, uh, a 70-year-old man and his muscles will convert back to the way they were when he was 19 years old. Mm. That's kind of really science fiction, for freaky thinking. Yeah. I mean, right now, it's a theory. you know. And before anyone runs out and decides to experiment on themselves with 
you know, with uh, with the gene uh, doping, which, uh, the, you know. Well, I've had some athletes tell me that injecting IGF-1 directly into the area that you're trying to improve or that recover, rather. So let's say you have let's say you have a thigh pain or something like that, and you just inject it right into the area, that it's extremely restorative. That is. I agree with that. Because remember, systemic IGF-1 is tremendously healing for connective tissue. Right. I mean, 300% increased healing rate. So that that's that's a real effect. That's not in their minds. That's a real effect. But, I mean, the actual gene doping thing, which I don't know how prevalent it is now. I hear a talk about it. But, I mean, for gene, th- you have to understand, for gene doping, to, f- to really work requires a certain degree of immunosuppression, you know? I mean, uh, and, you know, that you're messing with your immune system. I mean, if you knock out your, for example, you knock out your killer T cells and your helper T cells, which are immune cells, and you have some sort of incipient cancer in your uh, b- body, you could be killing yourself, yeah. So this is not so, this is something you know the old expression not ready for prime time. <laughs> That's the way I look at gene doping. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I wouldn't even go near this myself. Yeah. As yeah. much as I'd love to have that you know that effect of turning my muscles back into age nineteen. You know, if somebody came, hey Jerry, I got this thing. I'm gonna Jerry, you're gonna be nineteen years old again as far as muscles. You know, that happens to be when when I was at my peak muscle muscle size, and I'd say no, no way. Just like I wouldn't take DNP to lose fat. Right. Not worth it. You lose your lose your liver too, and <laughs> internal organs. Yeah, the therapeutic dosage for crying out loud is is a, is a molecule away from the same dosage that's going to bake your internal organs. Yeah, I'm not going to do that stuff. It's a moronic, yeah. you know. And I, we're not going to talk about that. But I mean, like for example, related to the mTOR, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's a, a drug called rapamycin. That basically lowers mTOR, and you know they give it to animals, uh, and uh, it's the only substance that has been found to lower the rate of aging when you start giving it in middle age. In other words, if you give it to a human at, at age forty, supposedly it'll it'll slow the aging. It's the only thing really known because cal- caloric restriction only works really when you start at a much earlier age. Mm. This is the only thing known. But the problem with rapamycin is what is it used for medically? It's an immunosuppressant. You often give into kidney transplant. Uh, yeah, that's right. So the thing is, I mean, you're, you're messing with something that turns off your immune system. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. I wouldn't touch it. You know, maybe another time we'll talk about it. There are ways to control it. You can, again, here we go with that expression. Uh, you know, have your cake and eat it too. There are ways to get the, the muscle building benefits of mTOR you know, without this, uh, you know, this uh, more rapid aging and cancer effect. And they all involve natural substances that are very sick. You can control it. You know, nobody talks about this stuff. You should really talk about it. It's very important. Well, I mean, immune system suppression, that's a real tricky area as well. Because I remember when years ago, like around 2000, my, I, I experienced a really bad sunburn. And I left this scar on my face where part of my face, had, it doesn't have pigmentation. Mm-hmm. Kind of like an albino would look, and every doctor I went to diagnosed it as vitiligo, but it, did, it didn't manifest its, it. It didn't manifest the way vitiligo always manifests, which is generally a, a very small white spot, and then it gets bigger, and then it spreads over time. This is an isolated area, and it's only been in that area for well over ten years now. Right. right. So a lot of the doctors would recommend, though, and thinking this is vitiligo, as to put me on immunosuppressive drugs to prevent spreading, even though it's not going to spread anyway. But 
suppressing the immune system never sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, they would say, well, you may, you're, you're going to be more susceptible to getting sick and so forth. I go, well, that doesn't sound like a very good trade-off. No, it's true. I mean, I mean, my biggest scare about immunosuppression, again, relates to that, that T-cell effect. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, these things are, are your first defense against cancer. Right. I mean, if you develop a tumor, I mean, it's the T-cells that knock it. I mean, everybody, people don't realize everybody gets cancer. You know, why don't you die from it? It's because of your immune system. Yeah. Your T-cells knock them out before they have a chance to metastasize. We all have these things called oncogenes, which are growth-promoting genes, and sometimes they're displaced. They're where they shouldn't be, and they don't do anything unless you encounter a carcinogen that's going to turn them on. Right. If you do that, you got a tumor going. Yeah. And, you know, that if everything's working good, uh, it'll be detected by your immune system. Your T cells will come in and just destroy the tumor before it could do anything. Right. And you will be all none the wiser. You'll never know it. Like I say, you know, there's an old saying uh, among uh, urologists: every man gets prostate cancer if he lives long enough. But most men die of either heart disease or some other form of cancer before they live long enough to get prostate yeah, cancer. Yeah, I remember there was a doctor saying pretty much every man dies with prostate cancer, but not necessarily from, from prostate cancer. And see, but that statement needs to be modified, see, because what they're what they're uh, saying, you know, in other words, if uh, taken at face value, it sounds like, well, gee, in other words, uh, if you live long enough, you're going to die of prostate cancer. No, no, you got to modify that. What they're really saying is that you get something called intraepithelial neoplasia. Yeah. It's a complicated term, but what it means is early stages of cancer. In other words, like it's a precancer. It's an in situ or localized uh, differentiation of cells right. indicative of cancer. In other words, it may or may not turn into cancer. In other words, a lot of guys walking around are perfectly normal. They might have this, see? And, uh, and, well, uh, I think it's kind of a dumb statement anyway. It's like, okay, you're dying with prostate cancer, but the fact that you have prostate cancer means there's probably some imbalance in your body yeah. that's, that there, that's having negative effects elsewhere rather than it's just isolated to that one area. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, uh, something, something's got to cause it. I mean, right. uh, whether we, the, I mean, they used to think it was uh, dehydrotestosterone. For many years. Well, it's like telling someone, like, you know, you're really healthy except for your liver. It's like, well, if your liver is unhealthy, then you're unhealthy. Jeez. I mean, your liver, was it 10,000? Uh, or, or, or like, or anybody. It's like, oh, you know, besides your heart, you're doing great. It's like, well, if your heart's not doing well, you know, whatever it is, it could be your kids. Like, oh, you know, everything's good except for your kidneys. It's like, well, yeah. these are all vital organs. So if any of them are off, then that's a problem. All right. Yeah. You have Alzheimer's disease, but guess what? You're in great cardiovascular. <laughs> to my, you, to my, you can still run a, you know, a mile, but you probably won't remember that you ran a mile, but hey, that's okay. Yeah. Actually, actually yeah, the fact that you have Alzheimer's means there's something systemically problematic. Problematic that's happening. Actually, actually, the truth of the matter is that cardiovascular disease goes hand in hand with Alzheimer's. In other words, right. when right. Right. actually is a precursor for Alzheimer's. So usually, you don't find a person with Alzheimer's who's, who's a track runner. It doesn't really happen very often. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So. Anyway. Well, hey, man! Uh, incredible information as always. As, yeah. as, as usual, we had an agenda that we wanted to cover, but you have, you have you drop so much information, we can't get to everything. You know, I'm like a guy who, uh, you know, who wants to go on a diet, and uh, you know, <laughs> he needs to stick to a certain calorie range, 
And then, you know, it kind of loses count after a while. I mean, I, I, I keep doing this. I, I apologize for it. But I, no, no, you're a great guest, man. The, the, the worst is the opposite. When you have a guest who you have to really pull information out of them. It's like, all right, come on, man. Let's do a flow here. That guest that lacked the nutrients of a diet. It's just like, dude, I'm just not eating enough here. It's just like, it's I, like I can't uh, get full. It's just like, I'm not satisfied. You know, this, you know, you know this, this, what you just said reminds me of something that happened years ago. You know Joe Weider, of course. You know, the yeah, late, yeah, sure. Joe Weider once said to me uh, when I was writing for him, he said, he says, you know, Jerry, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk like Joe. Jerry, anybody can write a bodybuilding article. It takes no <laughs> skill, he goes. That's, that's a good invitation. <laughs> I, said, I, said, this, I said, you really believe that, Joe? I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, I did an interview last week with a top bodybuilder. I don't want to mention his name. Because he's kind of like still around, you know. I mean, uh, he's making a comeback. All right, I just gave it away. All right. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, this guy, you know, when I first interviewed him, he was just coming up. He had just won a national title. I interviewed him in a hotel room. Every question I asked the guy, it was yes or no, no details, no nothing. <laughs> and he was watching himself on TV while I was interviewing him. He wasn't paying attention at all. I walked out with no material whatsoever, and I had to write an article on this guy. My, luckily, because I was a bodybuilder myself, I was able. I didn't lie, but I was able to fill in the blanks sufficiently. Now it reminds me of when I uh, interviewed Ken Shamrock early in my career. Right, this is like 2002, and he's like, "Yeah, just e- just email me the questions." So I sent him over. It's like, okay, what's your nutrition regimen like? He's like, whatever my wife makes for me. <laughs> that was his response. <laughs> then I was like, okay, what about your training regimen? He goes, five by five. Yeah. I was like, oh boy! It's like, what am I going to do with this interview? <laughs> it was those kind of responses, one after the other. So what I what I told Joe is, I said, Joe, if you put a Pulitzer Prize winning writer in a room with a lot of these guys, the writer will run out of the room screaming in five minutes because they're not getting anything. I said, you know, and to his defense, I should say that I interviewed the same guy years later, and he actually was a good interview. He changed. He was very, you know, but he wasn't watching TV, so maybe that's what made Some people just have low energy. I was watching uh, D.L. Hughley was talking about Hillary's VP pick, right, Tim Kaine. Oh, my God. And D.L. Hughley's (laughs) like, man, that that speech he gave at the DNC was boring as shit. He's like, he needs to get on some cocaine, man. Let's get this thing going. (laughs) What about this guy? He's not very exciting either, is he? I mean, uh, who's that? The guy Pence is oh, right there. Oh, he's not exciting. Oh, no, neither one. It's like, okay, they're, they're taking their job seriously by being VP, by being very irrelevant in compared to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you don't want to outside. They're, they're picking like these the, picks. It's so like they the bridesmaid that has the better looking dress than the actual bride. You don't want to be that. Yeah. So that's why the bride always makes sure all the bridesmaids have the most hideous dresses possible so they don't outshine her. And that's what's happening with these VP picks. It's, I mean, gee, where the hell is Sarah Palin when we need her? <laughs> <laughs> See, that was the problem because everybody focused on her like, wow. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, what did they find this woman? You know, and nobody cared about McCain. She was the female version of Donald Trump. He basically said whatever came out of her mouth. I mean, I mean she was actually. Like, well, you know, I can see Russia from, from my, my house. house. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, what I always wondered was. was well, what, what's interesting, though, is that that actually worked in McCain's favor initially, right? Like he had a big boost in support yeah. but then the more she was doing interviews <laughs> you know? like, yeah. it was good when she was talking at first but then it's like okay you got she needs to stop talking now which is kind of <laughs> which is kind of happened see one thing about hillary she doesn't worry about that with kane you know like talking too much whereas donald just like god dude you need to stop talking stop talking you're gonna talk yourself right out of this man so pence is probably just like hey i can talk too 
So when it's two of them together, it's not a good look. Well, <laughs> I'm looking forward. I think a, a very entertaining thing, if it ever does happen. Oh, this is reality TV at its best. It's not even oh, a political no, cycle. This is a TV. Oh, yeah. No, but, the, the debates are going to be highly entertaining. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> I was just going to say the debates. I mean, that's going to really be interesting. Trump is going to be like, Hillary, <laughs> Hillary, you've got blood coming out of your eyes. You probably have blood coming places. out of other areas. You know? <laughs> I, can, I can see why Bill cheated. <laughs> you know stuff like that's going to come out like, well, I can just see that Bill's probably ordering some new cigars as we speak, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be like those comedy shows where Trump says something. And the camera goes to Hillary, and she's making one of those faces, oh, yeah. like which you know, Johnny Carson you know, looks at the camera, like, "Can you believe this guy?" You know, <laughs> yeah, like usually I don't even care about the base, but I, I can't miss. This is must see TV right here. <laughs> I'm wondering, do you guys think that Trump's going to really show up for it? I mean, oh, he doesn't really have much choice, man. Oh yeah, at you're, this point, you're the presidential, like, yeah. you're your party's pick. You pretty much have to. Yeah, show you can't send a proxy in, just like I'm here representing <laughs> Mr. Trump. <laughs> I mean, look at that lame excuse he, because the NFL football games are. I mean, he's already coming up with excuses for crying out loud. You know? Yeah, because yeah, he's gonna need a teleprompter big time. Hey, hey, Donald, I got a message for you. People who watch the debates probably don't give a shit about watching the NFL games. They want to see you and Hillary go. You know, the, the, believe me. They, 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 they would rather watch you and Hillary, you know, duke it out than watch even the best football game. I, I kind of think that, you know, the majority, of course, there's so hardcore football fans that probably would get a little pissed off. But I, I think they're in the minority. You know, that's my feeling. Well, I think a lot of people who may not watch are going to watch. Yeah, exactly. Because, just to see what's – it's like Trump's a car wreck. It's like you just want to see like – I know I shouldn't be looking at this. I know it's kind of gru- you know, gruesome, but you just you just got to look. Take a peek right. because you don't want to be the person the next day when you hear people talking about it where you can't even participate in the conversation. Like, damn, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even watch. Like I had no plans even watching it at DNC. But when I was flipping channels and I saw Tim Kane, I was like – Oh my God, who let their stepdad up here? Why is this, this guy's talking in circles and then it's just like, come on, man. This is the guy that's going to be in charge of Congress. Well, I mean, there were, there were some good speeches at that event, but his, but his wasn't one of them. That's for sure. <laughs> this was not one of them. I mean, I, I remember watching the Republican debates because I, I, I love to wait and see what Donald Trump was going to say. And, to me, and, a, and he knew, and he knew that. Because yeah. anyone knows how to control TV, that guy knows how to control TV and the media, and he knew it. He knew that man. It's just like oh, that's, sure. that's why they gave him a free pass. Even the ones, the channels, even the stations that hated him, you know, the networks yeah. that hated him, it's like they couldn't say no because it was good for their ratings as well. Right. And he's money. Okay, he's money yeah. for a lot of people besides himself. Yeah. And I mean, we, <laughs> oh, him and the Megan uh, Kelly, whatever her name oh, is. Yeah. Right, right. That was great. I Pretty mean, much killed her career you know, oh. at this point. So you know, without her she, even knowing it. Then she goes and does a recently did that ass kissing interview. Yeah, was, was that was horrible, say, man. man. That I was, was like, I'm like, really? I mean, I mean, everybody expected it to be like this real tough thing. Yeah. I, I was like cursing at the screen when she was. I said, you sellout bitch. I can't believe you. <laughs> I said, you know, I will never watch you again. You know, it's, it's kind of like in these TV shows. Where uh, I remember there was a show called, called Dallas one year, where they where they killed off Bobby, was one of the main, uh, <laughs> was one of the yeah. main characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the season, and then, <laughs> then it a, turns out dreaming the whole freaking time. Yeah, yeah, and then it turns out he it turns out he's one of the most popular characters in the show. So they brought him back in the first episode where he walks into the shower. It turns out I said, my guy, you're going to insult my intelligence, and I never watched. That was one of my favorite shows. I never watched yeah, funny it. talks, you know, getting those contract disputes taken care of. Because that's one thing about it. If they can't work out your contract and you play hardball, it seems like especially after that episode, all these other shows realize, well, we'll just kill you off. 
<laughs> You'll just die mysteriously. Just like almost every character in Grey's Anatomy is like, okay, George, we're gonna get, we're gonna kill you crossing the street. You're gonna get hit by a bus because you know we can't work out your contract. It's <laughs> like, huh? So I'm a doctor. Why am I getting hit by a bus? And I work in a hospital here. <laughs> so he's gonna join the army, and on his way to join the army, he gets hit by a bus. You know. Then Remember that show, Three's Company? Or was, oh, yeah, uh, same thing. Yeah, with Suzanne Summer, same thing. And she wound up pushing a thigh. What was the thigh thing she pushed? A, <laughs> thigh master. Thigh master. Her career went down. The, now now suddenly she's an expert on health and longevity. <laughs> she emerged. She's, I'll, I'll tell you where she's good, though, is that she's good at – she's smart in that when she writes a book, she interviews a bunch of experts, right? right? And she keeps the focus on them. And she asks those questions that the average person – would probably want to ask and have answered. So she's good at that. I have to admit, her books aren't that bad. I've looked at a couple. No, they're pretty good. And yeah. for someone who's just getting into this topic of, let's say, hormone optimization, anti-aging, her books are a good start. Because, they are. Because they're basic. They're easy to understand. I agree. Right. I totally agree. So yeah. where, where she's yeah. useful is that she is asking these questions. Mean, even though she's very knowledgeable about a lot of this stuff now as a result of studying this stuff herself and being around these people that are experts in anti-aging, She's good at asking those basic questions that the average person would want to know. Yeah, well, my question to her, I saw her interviewed, and she said when she began began her anti-aging regime, you know, the uh, natural hormone replacement therapy, all that, she said she started having sex with her husband seven times a day. So my question to her, when do you have time to write the books? (laughs) (laughs) Seven Seven times a day, please. I'm like, please. I'm like, so... So obviously he's not employed either. Okay. <laughs> like, how are you making money? And when do you have time to go do something that's making money when that's all yeah, you do? Unless, unless you're actually filming the, all those times that you're having sex and you're doing that online, now, then that's a different story. See, see, I have this problem. See, if I'm listening to somebody, even myself, so you know, if I'm listening to somebody and they're making sense, and you know, then then they say something outrageous, which I know is a lie. Right. Whether it's an oral presentation or or an article. I suddenly lose complete interest. I do this in books all the time. If I find an error that I know is wrong, I close the book. I just, yeah. I just don't want to yeah. read it. Anymore. I say, look, this guy, you know, and I have made errors. Like I said with the beta alanine, you know, uh, when I call, and I also uh, did one with ribose years ago where I also, yeah. well, you know, I made a mistake, you know, but at the, I, my only defense was at the time I wrote that stuff, it, it, everything I said was true. Well, with ribose, the research did look very promising. It did. That. And, and it made a lot of sense, too. You're like, okay, ATP molecule increases that, stack it with creatine, awesome, great. And I, I tried so many different variations of ribose, meaning stacking it with different things, and, and never really got any measurable benefit from it. Well, I, I went up to 20. The dosage suggested was 5 grams. I went up to 20. And just like the studies that it came out, it showed, it, I didn't really get anything out of it. I mean, yeah. you know, so, so – uh, but I wrote an article, and I – I said that this is fan- exactly what you just said, Mike. I based it on what it does. You know, it's the same thing I did with Beta Allen. I, I said, well, I, I looked at what it does with the carnosine. I said, this stuff has got to really be useful for somebody involved in exercise, you know. I still well, and, and sometimes they're, they're looking at it like, okay, it does all of these things, but for whatever reason, that doesn't equal any improvement whatsoever in performance right. when taken by the user. Right. Well, it's like you have the – There's just a disconnect there. Well, it's like we said with the creatine. You still got, you still have articles coming out where they're telling people to load the creatine. You know, load, uh, you know, six times a week, five. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. It's a ridiculous. But I still see it. 
you know, so, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, this, uh, well, I mean, and, and then some will say, if you weigh this much, take this much. And it's like, if you weigh over 250, you take 15 grams. A, a lot of that stuff never really made that much sense either. No, it doesn't make any, because like I say, there's a finite, like we pointed out earlier, there's a finite amount of creatine that can be stored in the market. There's not an unlimited storage capacity. Right. And once it's fully stored, like you use that example, the glass of water, it's just going to pour right out. In the case of creatine, it's going to be converted rapidly into creatinine, and you're just going to piss it right out. And if you have the misfortune to have a medical test done where they're doing renal blood you know, tests, yeah, yeah. And, when you, and you, 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 have, you do it during a creatine load, your creatine is going to be so high, the doctors want to, want to take a biopsy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The creatine levels, yeah, they're going to yeah. be off the chain. See, I, I think you're heading for renal failure. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, <laughs> that's another problem with that. So, no doubt. Well, hey, man, great having you on. Love to have you come back again at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, I, talk I about some talk- of these things. Yeah, I, man, it's a pleasure. I love, I love talking to you guys. It's great. Where can people find out more about you, Jerry? Yeah. You'll find out the uh, the, the sordid uh, details of my past. <laughs> you know. Anyway. So what's your what's your website again, Jerry, and the, or the yeah. membership site? It's uh, www.appliedmetabolics.com, and I talk about you know these type of topics in depth, and you know it covers exercise science, nutrition, supplements, uh, you know anti aging, of course. You know, uh, uh, I think I'm the only person really covering that in depth right now, and. And uh, hormonal therapy, fat loss research, women's health. I, I cover. I, I try to put in something there for everyone. It's uh, written in basic, simple English. Right. I, don't, I don't dumb it down to where guys like you who are knowledgeable say, "Hey, this is like reading one of those Jack and Jill books." You know, <laughs> I still make it where it's you know a person with intelligence will appreciate the fact that I'm giving about the, you know like if I use an expression like mTOR. I'm not going to just write, well, you know, you got to get your mTOR up and, you know, half the audience will be, what the hell is mTOR? You know, I do a brief explanation of what mTOR, mammalian target of rapamycin, and uh, I even tell how you how it got the name, you know, from Easter Island, blah, blah. I, I try and make it interesting, you know. So, you know, I, I think that and it's, again, I shouldn't have called it a newsletter. That was a mistake because it's far more than a newsletter. The damn thing is like 40 to 50 pages. Uh, uh, and it's just, it's I, I think it's, Honestly, I mean, uh, I think it's the best thing I've seen around. I, I no, it definitely is. I'm a member, and it's it's a ton of information. I mean, you could spend hours and hours going through a lot of that stuff. And it's and like you said, there's so many different topics that people can pick and choose what's most appropriate for them, most relevant to them. And some will say, "Well, ten bucks a month, I can." There's so much free information on the internet. It's like, yeah, well, how good is it though? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? As I told you last time, that was one of my motivations. Because, I, I mean, I'm reading all this stuff on the internet, on these blogs and these so-called science webs, and it's just garbage. I mean, it's either written very badly or the information's wrong. It's misinformation. Believe me, I'd rather pay for a membership site like yours where I trust the source and then not have to waste my time researching a lot of things and then trying to figure out what's true and what isn't. I'd rather just go to your website where I trust you as a legitimate source, and now I can rest assured that what I'm getting is good information. Well, that that's my thing. In other words, I'm, I'm trying to pre- present a reliable alternative. In other words, in my, you know, if you read my newsletter, you will notice that if I'm not sure of something, I label it. It's, I don't want to mislead anyone. If, right. if I'm not sure of something, I label it clearly as speculation. Uh, just a, a good example is if I have to talk about animal studies, like mice studies, rat studies, I always point out that this study is true for animals like mice and rats, but we don't know yet 
whether it will also be proven true in humans, we have to wait for further studies. Right. It's the difference between me and these blogs. These blogs will take, let's say, that same study, and they'll have a headline, uh, Leucine Stops the Aging Process. You know, that's what the headline. Then you read it, and it turns out this happened in armadillos. You know, it, <laughs> there's no evidence at all that it does it in humans. Yet they end the article by saying, so this is why everyone should be taking in 10 grams of leucine a day. You, I mean, this is that's terrible to write that kind of stuff. That's, that's right. like skinny people. And you'll never see me do that. Never. I, ne- I, I I'm, The one thing I'll say, I, I consider myself to have integrity and honesty. I never lie. And, and uh, people who, uh, a couple of months are reading, you know, Mike, you guys are, you know, you're a little bit more knowledgeable than most people. You know, I can tell just by talking to you guys. But I get, what I'm trying to say is anyone who reads my newsletter, this is a really bold statement, but I'll say it anyway. Anyone who reads my newsletter within, I'd say, six months will be an expert on just about anything related to exercise. In other words, they'll never, oh, no be, doubt. They'll never be misled again. They'll know which supplements work, which are garbage. I mean, $10, for crying out loud, I'm saving these people hundreds of dollars on supplements that may not work, that might not be suitable to them. I'm giving them information related to longevity that will probably prevent. I had a big article on how to prevent Alzheimer's disease. If you, you know, if you start early enough, you could actually avoid it if you do what I suggested. I mean, for crying out loud, you can't put a dollar sign on that stuff. I mean, to me, that stuff is, is invaluable. Right. You know, I mean, I, honestly, again, this is a little bit of a... Uh, uh, I guess, what's the word, heuristic statement I'm going to make, but uh, if I stood outside myself and saw this publication that I have, I'd run to subscribe to it because I've always had a strong sense of curiosity and a deep sense of wanting to learn. I would pay any amount to read this. I know maybe I shouldn't say that, but I'm being honest. This is what I really believe. Because i, I got to tell you guys, I work my ass off on this newsletter to come out with, and, and, and the subjects I choose are not for me the subjects I write about, I think, I have practical and useful value. I'm thinking of the audience reading this. I'm not thinking of what interests me. If I wrote what only interests me, it would be a, a completely different type of newsletter. You know, it wouldn't interest right. people. But I'm writing uh, material that I think people will find useful and practical that they could use right away to improve themselves. That's what I'm trying to pick. You know, you know. So, like, well, like you mentioned, insulin. In this next, the one I'm working on now. I'm going to uh, write new research about insulin, which is just going to blow people's minds. I mean, uh, what, you know, the, the common beliefs about insulin and muscle protein, it, it, you know, it, it turns out that this all, a lot of it's mistaken belief. And some of it's true, but a lot of it is just completely wrong. I was shocked to find this myself, but most people don't know this stuff. You know, it's important for them to know, you know. Silence. What's going on? Hello? No, I'm here. Great oh. having you on, Jerry. Appreciate it. I just, I just had it on mute. I had my dogs barking. Oh, okay. Well, hey, man. Great having you on. And the, what's the website again for the newsletter? www.appliedmetabolics. One word, appliedmetabolics.com. And uh, yeah, there it is. And uh, of course, uh, oh, I, I also want to say before I go off is that, you know, I, there is a, a, a email site, uh, appliedmetabolics.com. It's on the uh, site itself. Uh, that email portal is for subscribers. If they're confused about anything I've written, I don't think they should be confused because I find right clearly. But if they are, they are welcome to send me a little email asking me questions. Or even if they want to ask me short questions that are not related to what I wrote in the newsletter, I will do that for my subscribers because I appreciate the support they're giving me. 
But I want to quickly add that, you know, when I do these videos or, or these podcasts, people hear me say the, uh, uh, the web address and they don't subscribe. They actually, some of them tell me they're not interested in subscribing, but they want to ask me sometimes extended questions. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, we're not, sure we're not surprised. <laughs> no, yeah. Honestly. Honestly, I actually, I, I've had people ask me, they go, do you have his email address? I go, yeah, I do, but I'm not giving it to you, man, because I know what you're going to do. You're going to bombard him and waste his time. I was like, if you have a question about supplements, go fucking sign up for his up. service. And if the answer is not there for some reason, it probably is there. But if I say for some reason it isn't there, then you send him an email exactly. and ask him. You know, I mean, like, like I actually, at one time when I first, me being Mr. Nice Guy, I actually answered all these unsolicited emails like a schmuck. And then Charles Polican, you know, we mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. He's been on the show many times. Yeah, he heard. He said, he said, what are you doing? Are you crazy, Jerry? Why are you wasting time <laughs> with these people? He says, they don't appreciate it anyway. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? I said, and you know, I'm actually disrespecting my subscribers because why should I answer these unsolicited emails when the people who are supporting me, they come first? So my policy now, again, I'm not trying to be a nasty guy, but I only have a limited amount of time. So, you know, if, if you write to me, please make sure you're a subscriber. Otherwise, I'm going to have to just ignore your email. Again, I, ha I just can't do it. My subscribers come first. So I just wanted to say that. So, so there's well, no if someone's not willing to pay 10 bucks for some great information, then they're not willing. It's not worth your time to respond to them. Exactly. Simple as that. That's the way I look at it, really. I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm asking you for a. And you, you give enough free information as it is. You're on our show, which is free. You're on, you do your own YouTube channel, which is free. I mean, come on. How much do you have to give away? Exactly. That's a very valid point. That's exactly. So right. after a while, you have to protect your own time. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I have only, I, like, I put hours into this newsletter. Every, I mean, as soon as I finish one newsletter, because of the length and the volume of it, I got to go right to the next one. I started the, uh, the new newsletter yesterday, the first of the month. And the, and, the, and the new each newsletter comes out on the first of the month. So I'm working all the time. I, I just don't have the time to sit here and answer dozens of these. Uh, I, I've had guys who want me to send them complete diets and workout. I mean, for crying out loud. Well, one thing one thing I get all the time is someone going, hey, I just had some some hormone results tested. Can, can I send it over for your <laughs> feedback? I'm like, no, you're not going to send it over for my did, – did your doctor analyze it for free for you? Yeah, that's uh, – what, that's, were, were the tests free? Were the tests free? That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's something that I've actually mentioned. I mean, these people will, will, will expect free information, and you know they don't realize I am a professional. You know, I might not be an MD or a lawyer, but I mean, if you go to an MD and lawyer, I mean, you, you go to the average doctor, sit in his office, and ask him ten questions, and say, "Hey, doc, you're a terrific guy. Thanks a lot," and start to leave. He's going to tackle you before you get out and hand you a bill for like $250. Exactly. I mean, and that's the way well, it's – Also, I always tell people, I go, look, if you're trying to get me to look at this for free, but if you're not willing to pay for it, it's not worth it for free either. It means you don't believe that I'm worth paying for, then why would you value my opinion on this for free? Exactly. That's very true. That you know, that, you know, The funny thing is somebody pointed it out to me. People that get stuff for free don't value. It's it's a quirk of the of the human mind. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? Absolutely. I have it. You know, I got it. I'll, I'll make an admission to you guys. I'm the same way myself. I look at free things as not really being a. I mean, why is it free? If it's any value. Well, I mean, I mean, just with this show, we have thousands of downloads every episode, right? No matter who's on, and then we only have 200 reviews on iTunes. So people. People can't even go over and give us a free positive review, even though we have way more than 200 people listening every single week. We've been doing the show for several years now. Right. There are right. some people 
people that have been listening to these shows since its inception that have never supported either one of our businesses. They'll send us emails going, oh, great show. Keep up the great work. And then you look up this person just to see if you know, they've ever been a customer, and and they're not. So I mean, it's just and in their mind, they're thinking, man, I'm listening to this great podcast for free. If I give anything in return, that's diminishing what I'm getting. That's the way they're looking at. It. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they love the information, but you know, like you say, half of them has this quirk where they love it, but yet they don't value it because right. you guys are generous enough. And I've heard hey, other. I've, try, do this. Try that with. Try that with your relationship. Try that with your spouse. <laughs> try. Try saying that you love them but don't value them, and see how long you'll be. St- they'll stick around. <laughs> try it. Just try it. Oh, try. Try. Yeah, they, I, I was try, waiting. I was waiting for a sincere to say, try not paying them to hang yeah, out. With well, I was about to say, <laughs> try not paying them for sex. <laughs> I'm like, I was try, like, where's this where now? You everything, and you give them nothing in return, and see how long they stick around, or see how long they go find someone that will find value in them. Just, just yeah. give it a try. Get back to us. Let us know how that works. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, that's not why I'm charging for my newsletter, but the thing is, but it, it is true. I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, well, any- it's just kind of comical. Someone would be like, hey, Jerry, I'm a huge fan. It's like, okay, well, really? why aren't you a subscriber to your, <laughs> to your newsletter then if you're such a huge fan? It, it would seem like, a, it seemed like that would be the obvious thing for a huge <laughs> fan to want to do. You want to know something, guys? Believe it or not, I get that statement <laughs> at least twice or three times a week, every week. They send me private messages on, on, uh, like, well, you know, I'll accept a friend request, typical scenario. Yeah, and the yeah. guy says, oh, I've been a huge fan of yours. I've been reading your stuff. For 25 years, Jerry, and I wrote that, well, guess what, uh, George, or whatever his name is, I don't write magazines anymore. I write, I have my own publication, and then I, you know, I, I tell him what's in it, I, basically what I just said earlier, and then the guy writes back, uh, you know, uh, uh, right now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying for my home, and I... Uh, yeah, so I can't afford so, 10 oh, bucks. Oh, so, that mortgage, so 10 more bucks is going to keep you from making a mortgage this month. Like, okay, obviously, you're overpaying. You're, you, you probably... Hey, wait, I always say, I was like, look, man, if you're strapped for 10 bucks, you shouldn't be on Facebook wasting time. You should exactly. be out there making money. You got to go make you some money. But listen to this. One guy who was a subscriber, and this guy's claimed to be a huge fan of mine, he canceled. Now, normally, I don't really respond to it. I just take it on the chin. I say, all right, you cancel. Forget it. I move on. This guy, though, I actually sent him an email because I'm thinking, why would this guy cancel? He told me how much he loves the the, uh, the uh, newsletter. And he likes my writing. So I had to ask him. I asked him, you know what he told me? He said, uh, this guy w- was a medical professional, by the way. He said to me, oh, I have so many expenses, Jerry. I love your writing. I love the work. You know, I just had to put my mother in an institution. She has Alzheimer's. I have all these expenses, so I had to cancel. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, in other words, t- spending $10 a month is going to kind of push you over the edge. You know, I knew, I knew he was lying to me, but I took the high road and I said, I'm sorry for your circumstances. I appreciate the time that you did subscribe. And I wish you the best of luck. Well, you would just prefer if someone gave an honest answer, like, hey, I don't have time to look at this anymore. Or I don't want it anymore. (laughs) Just tell me that. I'm not interested anymore, Jerry. (laughs) Fuck off. Or just say, you know, hey, I I went through, looked at my expenses. Here's one that wasn't necessary, you know, at this time. And I I cut it out. I would have accepted that. But here's the the prologue. What I do is uh, subscribers, if they're on my Facebook page, I, I, I guess I'm a little pissed off in a way. I say to myself, why should I let them see? I, see, you have to understand, on my Facebook page, I put a lot of free medical information, nutrition studies. I put a whole bunch of crap. If you guys ever look at my page, you'll see. And I say to myself, why should I let these motherfuckers see my Facebook page when they just canceled? So what I do is, as soon as I look them up, if they cancel, if they're uh, Facebook friends, 
I cancel the friend thing. You know, I don't send them, I don't curse, I don't send anything bad. I just cancel. This same guy wrote to me after I can't, he says, hey, how come you canceled me? <laughs> so you canceled me, I'm canceling exactly. you, motherfucker. There so, you go. Hey, life is about that. balance, man, you know? <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. Yin and I yang, you know? <laughs> I more or less said that to him. Yeah. I said, you know, I listen, doc, doctor, I accepted your, your reasoning. And I, you notice I didn't give you a hard time. I understand that you, you know, you feel you can't afford the newsletter. I said, but this is my policy. It's nothing personal. I do, and it's true. I, and it, it wasn't a, I do this with all of them. I said, I automate, I don't want, I don't want people who cancel to get the benefit of all. He says, what about all the other friends? I said, well, they were never subscribers. I said, if they subscribe and then cancel, then they also will not be my friends. It's that simple. I said, that's my, call it a personal quirk. He says, well, I think you're wrong, but you know, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And that was the end of it. So maybe I, guess, I am- Well, sometimes I mean, I, I've been in a lot of similar situations. I had a guy who who bought my testosterone booster, and he goes, look, it didn't work out for me. I, I did some blood work. I was like, hey, no problem. Here's a refund. No hassle refund. I don't expect people to give me this lengthy thesis on their dissatisfaction. It's simple as I didn't get anything out of it. Fine. No big thing. And then I get an email about going, oh, I'd love to send over my lab work, though, for your opinion. And, you know, I, I've been having these issues for a while here and there. I just wanted to get your feedback on stuff. I go, look, man. <laughs> you, want, you want you want a refund that's great i gave it to you but now you want me to analyze your lab work for free and i mean, give you some feedback come on man could you believe that what i mean that is unbelievable nerve man i mean it's I, i've had other people go look i didn't get anything out of it i'm like okay no problem just send it back and you know, send the unused portion back and i'll refund the entire order and right. they're like, okay, am I going to get the refund now? I go, no, motherfucker. You're going to get it when you send it back. Right. <laughs> All right? I'm not going to give you a refund now and just hope you send it back. Most I, likely, you're, I'm going to give you a refund, and you're just going to keep the stuff. And, and sometimes in this case, they never send anything back, which means they probably just wanted to get a comp. You know, right. They were probably going, this stuff is great, but I wonder if I could just send it back. I wonder if I, I use two bottles. It's great. I mean, maybe I'll just send the rest back and get a refund on the whole thing. Listen to this. I got to tell you, this, this one's going to really make you laugh. I got a, a email. Oh, I got a no. It was a PayPal request for a hundred dollars the other day, and I'm thinking, what? Who is this guy? So I look. I, I did a little research, and I found. I sent the guy an email. His email. I said, hey, excuse me. I said, uh, I got a PayPal request. You're asking me. You're asking me for a hundred dollars. Could you tell me what this hundred dollars was for? Yeah. He says, well, I was a subscriber to your uh, to your uh, applied metabolics. But I canceled the, uh, I, 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 I know he says I wanted to cancel the first month. So I wrote back, uh, oh, so you canceled. He says, no, I didn't. <laughs> so, so what he was saying like, was. In my head, I canceled. <laughs> okay, yeah, in his head, he canceled. Now, I pointed out that it's, it's ridiculous. I said, it's a month to month subscription. It's ridiculously easy. There's a page called My Subscriptions. There's two tabs on the bottom. One of them is for PayPal. The other one's from Stripe. Those are the two right, methods right. of payment. If you hit whatever payment you're paying, you hit that particular tab, you're unsubscribed. It's done. It's over. It's that simple. I said, I have it in my FAQs how to do it. I said, you continued your prescription. Your, your, uh, Prescription. I'm thinking that the guy needs some drugs for his mind. But anyway, <laughs> you considered your subscription. You you continue your subscription for for uh, for uh, ten months, and now you're asking me for the money back because you didn't cancel, pal. This is your responsibility, not mine. You're not getting nothing back. Well, I mean, these are also the only – these kind of scenarios would only happen via the internet, right? No one's going to walk into someone's store and have this kind of conversation. 
Exactly. No one's even going to call someone up and have this conversation. It's like, oh, I've been a Cox Cable subscriber for 10 months, but in my head I wanted to cancel <laughs> 10 months ago, so I want you to give me a, a retroactive refund <laughs> for when I thought of it in my head but never verbalized it. Yeah. Now, there was one guy who for some reason subscribed twice. What happened was he used two different emails. Yeah. And, and you know, And he was charged twice for six months. Now, he had a legitimate excuse. I immediately refunded his sure, money sure. for six months, and I deleted the extra account. That guy wasn't trying to pull a fast one. Right. He just noticed on his credit card he was being double-charged, and it wasn't his fault. I mean, 10-month guy probably read through every single thing he could find in there over those 10 months and then thought, oh, I wonder if I could get a refund in the whole thing. That's exactly what probably yeah. happened. I mean, yeah. the, I mean, it reminds me of the story you just told about the guy with the testosterone supplement. You know, he probably used all of it, and then he wants a refund. I feel like smacking these guys. I yeah. mean, I mean, come on. I, 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 it goes back to that integrity thing I was talking. I would never do that to anybody. Even as a child, I would think better than this. Or when someone goes, you know, I give someone a refund, like, oh, thanks for the refund. Oh, by the way, I'm a huge fan of the show. Right. It's like, okay, well, then you should take that refund and go make a Patreon donation if exactly. you're such a huge fan of the show. <laughs> you, know? Right. you know, it's like when I was a kid. Remember, I, I started. I, I started working. When I was about 12 years old. I looked at the bodybuilding magazines. I wrote down the names of all the bodybuilding champions. And I knew a guy who was actually writing for the Weeder office was still back in New Jersey back then. He was an editor. I happened to know him. I got the uh, actual address. This is way before the Internet. I got the addresses of these top bodybuilding champions. And I wrote to them. And I still remember what I wrote. I said, I, would I was only 12 years old. I wrote to them. I said, I would like to have you write a workout routine for me. Please, <laughs> listen to this. Please. Here's the key line. Please tell me how much it will cost. Right, right. I signed it and I had my address. I was living in Brooklyn, New York. At 12 years old, Mike and Sincere, I knew better than to expect these people to waste their time. Right. So it's also a level of respect. Right. And, you yeah. know, and they, they may be in a generous mood and say, hey, I'll, I'll put something together for you and send it over right. just because you came at them in that respectful manner. Or they'll get back and say, here's how much it costs. And I have people do that, too. They'll email me and say, I'd love your feedback on this. Just let me know how much it costs. Right. And how to pay, and I'll send it over. Right. Then, well, the, fact, only, the only guy who did answer me happened to be that same guy, Bill Pearl. Okay. And what he did is he offered to sell me his courses. He had some courses, and I thought that was perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And I immediately, I didn't have much money. I bought, I think he had six courses. They weren't that much money. They were like five bucks each or something. I had a little bit of a savings, you know. I, I took it out of my savings, and I bought his courses. And I got to tell you guys, you know, they were they were great. Yeah. They were good information, and they helped me. You know, I was only 12 years old, but they helped me. It was all good, basic, sound training information. Especially, especially when you're just starting off. You know yeah. how how detailed and precise does it have to be? Anything that just covers the basics is going to be. Yeah, no, there was mostly pictures and how to do the exercise. But it, it taught me how to do exercise. You know, the form correctly. It taught me to exercise my legs right from the start, which I did. So you know, it was worth every penny. I, I never regretted it. And of course, Bill Pearl became my bodybuilding idol. We wound up having a correspondence for uh, for two years, a, a written correspondence. When I eventually met him, I think I was 15 years old. He came to New York. I met him, and I remember he, he looked at me, his jaw dropped, and he, I, I, he said, I said to him, you, you seem surprised. He said, the way you write, he says, I thought you were about 28 years old. He says, you know, you have a tremendous vocabulary for a young man your age. I, and I remember I said to him, oh, that's because I read a lot. <laughs> But I've always been a pretty good, you know, I've always been a voracious reader and I've always had, you know, a, a pretty good ability to write. I, I wrote my first book when I was eight years old. So 
wasn't published. It was about the U.S. presidents. I hand wrote it in an art paper with a crayon. <laughs> I wish I had it today, but how many eight-year-old kids write a book about the president? Well, you're, you're definitely picked the right career for yourself. That's for yeah. Sure. I mean, I had a lot of jobs you know, after that, but I guess it was inevitable that I wind up as a writer. You know, it's basically what I've been doing most of my life, you know? Yeah, no doubt. So, Well, hey, man, you're doing a great job. Thanks again for coming on. Informative as always, and love to have you come back again soon. Okay, I appreciate it, and uh, th- thanks for uh, – listening to me and being patient <laughs> by all my tangential remarks. <laughs> oh, the tangents are always fun. Exactly. Yeah. Great to talk to you guys. All right, man. Take care, Jerry. Thanks again, Jerry. You have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks, you know the drill. You love the episode. Go over to iTunes, leave a review, go to Stitcher. If you use that, leave a review, go leave a review on Facebook, share the links. If everyone who listens to this show shared it with one person, that would be extremely useful to us. So get it out. Don't just hoard this to yourself. Exactly. And head over to both websites, buy some stuff. MikeMuller.com, <laughs> NewWarriorTrain.com. Use that coupon code LLA or don't use it, but still buy some stuff. And then third, head over to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Become a monthly supporter of the show. And there you go. Yeah. So therefore, you end up being a subject of a rant like Jerry just had about people who just <laughs> leech off of people. And and we, should, we, we should have him come back on and exactly. just make that the topic. Right? That's exactly. all we talk about. <laughs> we, we all just share stories exactly. of, of this kind of person. That's <laughs> my vampire stories. People who just suck the blood right out of you, man. You get nothing in return. So, yeah, man. Well, you know, a lot of people don't do jack shit to support you. Kind of like a lot of our listeners right now and just have like a whole episode on that. <laughs> Oh, man. We're going to do a different kind of shout-out. <laughs> <laughs> to my shout-outs and shut-ups. That's what we should call it right there. So shout-outs to those that support us, and then shut-ups to all those who say, hey, man, big fan of the show, but never support the show. <laughs> so, yeah. It's funny. I'll leave with a little funny story, man. There's this, there's this new scam that's going on. It might not even be new. It's just something that's affected <clears throat> us recently. But anyway, it's this scam where you'll get this call on your cell phone, and it'll say, hey, this is Homeland Security. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, you need they, to call us back within 30 <laughs> minutes or we're going to have local law enforcement arrest you. And basically, this is a, what they're trying to do is, is basically scare you into giving over financial yeah, information to they, pay they, some bullshit fine. Yeah, they're doing it with the IRS agents, too, because they did. They yeah, yeah, to, yeah. They that's the other one. Yeah, they did it with my father-in-law. And, you know, him being from Egypt, you know, being from another country, he didn't understand what the hell. He, he was like, what the hell, man? And I was like, ah, don't. I said, there's not going to. It was from the IRS. And they said that Homeland Security was going to stop by his house. You know, right, if he didn't. Right. You know, like, you know, talk about you know, if he didn't get the information for his taxes from last year and his social security, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I said, here's the thing about America and, and especially all of our alphabet soup agencies. They don't really give you warnings. They show up. They also <laughs> don't call you up. They don't call. They don't, te- the they don't text flag. you or call you. Well, <laughs> everything has to be documented. So you're exactly. going to get official notification, if anything. And then and it goes to be certified there. letters. So they want to make sure that you act. You can't sit there and lie. I never got the letter. They make sure that they, they, find, they have a, a they, they don't control. they don't work with local law enforcement no. either, meaning that if they have an issue with you, they're going to call the local police department <laughs> to come over to your house and arrest you. Give me a fucking break. But but it's like uh I have a funny – I mean my attitude about this is I can't wait for these kind of scam artists to call me. I'm just looking forward <laughs> to that call because I'm going to have so much fun with those people. It's not even going to be funny. 
like, excuse me, sir, you need to do this. I'm like, no, I got a better idea. I think you need to uh, bend over. And go fuck yourself. <laughs> I think I think what you need is a fist in your ass. I think that's what this call is letting me know. You know? I'll, probably, I'll probably go in character mode and start talking like Jack Bauer and then just kind of reverse it on him. Like, well, you just go ahead, buddy. You something in my door. I'll tell you one thing, pal. Da-da-da. And they're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who do we stop? Oh, yeah? You're from Homeland Security? Well, I'm from the counterterrorist agent. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> okay, this guy's crazy. So he probably doesn't have any money or anything to give us because he's probably they probably just let him out of an institution. So we're sorry. The thing, we the the thing about these scams, though, is a lot of times it's coming from another country, and what they're exactly. doing is they're, they're routing through the U.S. network where yeah. the phone number looks like it's coming out of, let's say, New York City or something, Florida. Yeah. When in reality, it's just Russia. Being routed through <laughs> some artificial number. Yeah. Exactly. It's, all these pings are going off, so it's bouncing off all the different different servers or whatever else, man. But, I mean, this happens so often. The IRS has information on their website saying, look, if you get a call like this, it's not legit. It's not us. <laughs> just let us know who this – you know, pass the number on to us. We'll look into it. But this is not the way we operate. We don't just call people up on their cell phone. Exactly. So just just give us a call, unless it's you, Hillary. Sorry, we can't help you with your, your scams <laughs> <laughs> and problems. <laughs> Oh, oh man, what a what a what a race we have this year! Highly yeah. entertaining. Yeah. So yeah, man. All right, folks. All right, folks. So you know what you do. We're gonna wrap up. We'll see you next time. Take care.